Welcome to Saks Realty's Tuesday Night Podcast, where we talk about anything and everything real estate. Each week, we deliver expert information, enabling you to make better informed decisions while keeping more money in your pocket. If you're interested in real estate, this is your show. All right, here we are live. Welcome to our Tuesday Night Podcast, guys. I am back in Maryland sitting with Melissa. Were you jealous that? Uh, yeah, of course I was. I was actually very jealous. You didn't go to San Juan, Puerto Rico? Well, you guys had an amazing week. Oh my gosh, it was great. I know. People are asking me why I don't have any sun. We we hid from it. It actually rained every single day we were in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Lots of rain. Lots of rain. Guys, welcome to our show tonight. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different stuff. One of them is that... Um, Yep, the housing market's collapsing. Uh, price reductions like crazy. I want to show you guys a chart here in a minute. But we are seeing price reductions everywhere. A lot worse than the last time I reported a couple weeks ago. Uh, Baltimore City seemed to be the worst, but we're going to go over a couple things. We're also, we want to hear from you guys. Um, Charlton's already asking how many rants tonight. I don't know, man. You might have to count them because uh, it might be off the... It might be off the rails tonight. I don't know. I, I'm going to talk about some stories, recent stories, dealing with agents, what we're uh, hearing now that the results of the lawsuit are in mm -hmm. and the uh, plaintiffs won, the defendants lost, National Association of Realtors and other large brokerages, uh, what that will mean to buyers and sellers going to give you some of my thoughts and some of the scenarios but let's dive right in so guys i'd love it if you uh if you would kind of hit it up in the comments here in the chat let us know what you're seeing in your area um you know i have been talking to people all over the country and prices are definitely falling fast inventory is shooting up we'll also talk about how the covid forbearance is running out the end of November. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to go over some stats with that, how mortgage delinquencies have shot up and what we're expecting to see as far as foreclosures. Will we see more bailouts or will we see people finally abandoning their homes uh, and getting foreclosed on? I know it's not fun to talk about, but hey, I mean, it's a reality. I think we're finally here to where we're going to be waking up from this hangover. Anyway, Melissa, what do you have? What do you, what, do you, what would you like to start us off with? Well, we're tonight? doing something really fun tonight. We're actually sharing the link for this show this evening. So if you guys want to join, you guys have some maybe important questions, what you're seeing, want some insight, please click the link. We're going to um, be bringing some of our audience members in this evening. Also want to talk briefly about the poll that we have going on. Um, you didn't end it, right? Don't end it. We know it's still going on. And right now the question, mortgage forbearance ends on November 30th. Mortgage payments restart December 1st. Will foreclosures rise? You guys, 94% of you say yes. Yeah, foreclosures. Yeah. I think so. Yep. I think we're finally going to face the music here. Yep. Three years and counting. I know. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that, um, there are millions of people that have actually taken advantage of the uh, the forbearance options. 
I think FHA, uh, they're still going to, I don't know, maybe they'll still work on recasting the mortgages to 40-year mortgages now. We know that's a possibility, but let's let's take a look. I want to tell you guys what is going on in our neck of the woods uh, here in the Baltimore market. We're going to go over nine markets that we serve pretty strong. Um, you've got basically 24, 23 counties in Maryland and Baltimore City, so there's like 24 jurisdictions uh, but nine of them, we really keep our thumb on the pulse. But here, just take a look at this, guys. I mean, this is um, this is this is now the sellers facing the music. Baltimore City, forty-seven percent of the houses. This is approximately uh, a couple percent here or there, but this is as of this afternoon. Forty-seven percent price reduced. Baltimore County, 44%, Hartford County, 44%, Anne Arundel County. I feel like I'm giving the snow forecast, you know, two to six inches of snow. Mm. You know, this school system's closed. Anne Arundel County, 48% of the active listings have experienced price reductions. Howard County, one of the richest counties in the country, 31% price reductions. Montgomery County, 39%, also very wealthy county. PG County, 1,116 actives, 45% price reductions. Frederick, 42. Carroll, 43. Washington, D.C., the home of our capital, where all the money's flowing out of. 1,983 active listings, 45% of these houses have experienced price reductions. Then we crossed the line. We went over into Loudoun County, Virginia, also a very wealthy area. 482 listings, 36%. And then I figured I'd bring you Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, because that's a big city. Um, you know, 4,470 active listings, guys. 50% mm -hmm. price reduction. I mean, that is just off the chart. And guys, we're seeing inventory that is really starting to rise too. Um, I, th I think, Joe, we had a Fred chart maybe on that. Maybe you can pull that up. But inventory is just about... Uh, what we're seeing, there's a couple things going on right now. I want to tell you about a house in a second that I went and looked at today with a client. I've been, uh, you know, helping buyers navigate through this. And, you know, we have a lot of buyers that are very qualified. Uh, you know, they, they have cash, they have down payment money. They're starting to navigate, you know, like, what do I need to do with these high interest rates in order to get the payment that I'm looking for because wherever we started this, I don't know, probably post-World War II, we started talking about payments, monthly payments to where the house price doesn't really matter. So now what we're doing again is we're looking at the payments with the interest rates and saying, okay, what are we doing? You know, what can I afford? And what does that house have to be priced at with today's interest rate? So what the interest rates are doing, yes, it's slowing buyers down, but what it's really making them do is just look at the price of the house. And we see that with these price reductions because the sellers that must sell, and this is going to be a big thing, guys. In the next couple months, we're going to see a flood of inventory hit the market. And what's going to happen is people are realizing that they must sell. And, you know, you can only kick this can down the road so far to where, you know, and unfortunately, people stay in the houses sometimes too late. Um, you know, one of the, the uh, 
with the sellers now, I mean, yes, they're having equity still in their house to where they can get out if they've owned the house, you know, didn't buy the house in the last two or three years. Uh, but, you know, they're kind of waiting for something magical to happen. Um, and the unfortunate thing is the people that where they're going to lose their house anyway uh, due to foreclosure, um, what they really need to do is contact somebody like us or, you know, a brokerage uh, in their area and talk about, you know, how can I sell my house and leave with something? Because what people don't realize is now that this is the delinquencies are going up, they're ticking up. What people don't realize is the banks probably aren't going to give them a second workout. I mean, there's only so many things that they can do. If you haven't paid your 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 home payment in six months because of a COVID nineteen related, you know, issue, financial distress, that it's it. May thirty first was the last application date to apply for six months of no payments. Those six months of no payments are up at the end of this month. So if you're one of these sellers that's sitting on the sideline saying, my financial picture hasn't improved, don't wait until you get foreclosure sale date in the mail before you reach out to an agent. I went through this back in the 2008 crisis. You need to be proactive and 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 be able to try and walk away with as much as you can before it gets to the point to where the bank is going to, you know, take your property back, foreclose on you. So, you know, but let, let's go ahead. I want to talk about a house that I showed today. And, um, you know. Uh, I want to hear about the house that you showed yeah, today. Well, okay, there you are. I was wondering what happened to you. Here I'm I looking am. at my screen. I'm going, man. I'm back. I mean, I'm looking at your screen. Actually, I can't miss your screen. I mean, guys, I just know. I mean, look, I'm not on, I'm not on an iPad. This isn't a tablet. This is a lot. Mine's a standard, normal, everyday, just laptop. Yeah. And and, and then we had the appreciate Melissa's a larger water mug. Laptop. I mean, water, whatever you call it, trough, water trough. I like to get my water in and I like to water. be able to see. So I'm kind of looking at my screen, but I really can't help but to see her screen. But now that I see that you're back, back. in the shot. <laughs> Um, I want to go over a house that I looked at today. So I have a buyer that, uh, like I said, you know, this buyer has been great. I've been working with them, a husband and wife with kids um, for several months. We've been looking at properties and kind of, you know, checking the boxes. So, you know, I want to talk to buyers and sellers tonight, sort of give you my two cents of, you know, what, what I'm seeing in the market and some suggestions for you because obviously clearly a lot of people are misguided uh, they believe that their house is worth a gazillion dollars still and uh, and 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 like i said remember what i said if you want buyers to respond in today's market the house price has to come down to the payment that a buyer can afford or you're not going to sell it period so if you're sitting on the market right now, 30, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, and it's not happening for you, chances are, news alert, you're too high on your price. The buyers can't afford it in your price range. So I went and looked at this house today. And first of all, I still haven't heard from the agent. I've called the agent twice. Agents never called me back. This is day two. Mm -hmm. Going into day three, I, I help forget today because it's 8, 12 p.m. Eastern time. 
So I don't think the agent is going to call me back today. But the agent is not calling me back. So I got a seller here that can't sell their house. Worse yet, I have an agent that won't call me back. Anybody calling about a property that's not selling, I think your agent better be on the phone calling back any agent that's calling about the listing. Number one, that's problem number one. So this house that I went through, met my, my buyers there today. We wanted to see it in the daylight because as a swimming pool and a hot tub, and of course it was all covered up. The other thing is if you're selling a house with a swimming pool and a hot tub, I don't think I would have closed it yet unless you're hiding something. What, 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 are, you, what are you going to do? You're going to uncover the pool? You just don't expect a buyer to look at the house with the pool and the, the hot, they're supposed to just accept it the way it is and trust that the pictures are good enough. But anyway, the hot tub and the pool were covered up so we couldn't see it. Worse yet, well, I want to just walk you down a little history on this house. So in 2014, the house sold for $257,144. Pull this chart up here so you guys can follow along. In 2018, and oh, isn't that funny? It sold in 12 in December of 14. Mm -hmm. And here it is. It sold again in November of 18. Weird. Um, I'm looking at that cancel. Okay, that's that's crazy. Something doesn't look right, Joe. I don't think. I think you got an extra line in there. Something's up. Huh? Yeah, we got a mistake yeah. here. Talk about the guy on a chart. Anyway, closed 11-29-18 for 450000 Just ignore the next line. It was canceled. It was put on the market for $625,000. And was taken off the market eleven or ten twenty seven twenty three, right? Last month, mm -hmm. a day later, it goes back on the market with another broker. So they fired one one agent, brought in another agent, and here it's listed at five ninety five. Here's the thing: thirty two point three percent increase in five years. So you all might sit back and say, "Well, that's nothing." It, it could have went up forty percent in the last two years. Guys, nothing was done to this house. Nothing was done to this house when it was bought since it was bought in 2018. Five years later, the people lived in it. Scratches all over the floor, holes patched all over the walls. I could go on and on. The listing says as is. I mean, it's, you know. In your opinion, what should the house be priced Well, my at? client thought that it was about $100,000 overpriced. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's not really, you know, it, it's not it's not an option at this point anyway. Yeah. The other thing is it has solar panels. Mm. Has solar panels under a lease. If you've listened to any of my prior shows, we actually interviewed a guy about solar panels. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the worst things in the world um, is a leased is leased equipment on solar panels. I think you know the the uh, the best thing is to buy them outright if you're going to put solar panels in your house. But 
These leases are usually very long. I don't know. I haven't seen the lease agreement. I haven't been able to talk to the agent. So I can't figure out any of the details on the house. Um, yeah. I could talk about another story, too, while we're at it. Okay. Well, let, let me before I do that, let me just give you buyers some tips here. Because when you're buying a house, first of all, I mean, we got a lot going on right now. We've got lawsuits that are being filed out there. And I mean, like I said, the NAR and large broker lawsuit, the plaintiffs were successful. A lot of money. There's another $40 billion lawsuit the first quarter of 24. The attorney that won the last lawsuit minutes after the verdict was written filed a whole bunch of additional lawsuits on other brokers as well. And there's a lot going on that regardless of what happens, buyers and sellers, unfortunately, are going to have to start better educating them. And well, it's fortunate. It's unfortunate that you're not getting the education from real estate agents that you should have. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think so many of you watch our channel because we try and give you good, solid, sound education, advice on, you know, when you're out there looking, what should you do? But if you're going to be buying and moving forward, you may not be able to afford eventually. You may A lot of buyers may not get an agent. They might not have the benefit of having an agent at mm -hmm. all. Now, a lot of you guys out of pure ignorance say, well, agents aren't worth anything, and it's not true. Um, good agents are worth every penny that they make. The problem is we don't have... We have the majority of the agents shouldn't be in the business. Um, and if you're an agent listening and you, if you can say that that's not true, I just told you I'm waiting for an agent to call me back two days on a listing that they can't sell. Yeah. Why should I have to go through that? But what you have to do if you're going to be looking at a house nowadays is you have to be educated and take the bull by the horns. You have to know what the history is on the property that's being sold. You have to look and see, has it recently been on and off the market at the very least? But then what else you should do is know when was the last time it was sold? And chances are, if it was on the MLS, even if it was 10 years ago, they probably have some photos online. So it's really helpful to know, like, what was done to this house. You know, if, if a house has gone up 30 40% in five years and nothing's been done to it, I mean, that's a red flag. Most people will, will not just live in a house. They will fix it up. They'll update things to their liking. They'll replace flooring. They'll replace, you know, kitchens. Um so you have to know, try and get an idea of what, what was done and what wasn't done. And really, the next thing that you really need to dive into is how many people are viewing the house. Now, I don't know about all the different states, but I know that Bright MLS in a multi-state, mid-Atlantic region, the agents that are using Bright MLS 
and they're using something called showing time, which is where you make the appointments, the agent can go on in most cases and see if there's any showing schedule. This is important. Because if you're looking at a house right now and your agent hasn't really sold much, they may not know to do this. And they may still think that they can be bamboozled by a listing agent telling them that there's a lot of competition. I want to know how many people are looking at this house. So I can go on to the MLS. I can go on to showing time, which is our program that agents make showings through, you know, listings, yeah. appointments, excuse me, appointments for their listings. And I can see that there's nothing scheduled this week on the listing, right? So if I'm calling the agent and I'm saying, hey, what kind of activity are you having on this thing? And they say, well, you know, oh, we've got showing scheduled like crazy, whatever, whatever. I can say, well, I don't see it. So how's it happening? You know, but you need to, you need to know that, right? If you're a buyer. And the other thing you want to pay attention to is it vacant. Because somebody that has a house that's vacant has a complete different motivation than somebody that's going to live there every night, right? The house is vacant. It's dead expense to these sellers. They're paying taxes, insurance, utilities. If it's wintertime where you are in whatever state you're in, it's expensive to heat a house. Uh, they, very, they have to at least keep it warm enough that the pipes don't bust and things like that, right? So... You know, is it vacant? That's important. Where's the seller? Because these are these are things that you really need to navigate. And like I said, if it's been under contract recently, then you need to ask questions like, why did it go back on the market? You know, was it financing that fell through? Was it a home inspection that went bad? Is there a report? Did the sellers do anything? Did they fix any of the repairs? And a an agent, a listing agent, what you need to know this, the listing agent, if they know material facts, that listing agent was given a home inspection report and they know that there are items on there that are safety items, they have to disclose those to you now because it's now a material fact. I didn't know, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. I don't know, right? But now when I know, well, guess what? Now I can't unknow. I have to share it. Yeah, there was a problem with the electrical panel. Yeah, there was a problem with the septic. Yeah, there was a plumbing problem. Uh, yeah, there, they found out that there was a roof leak. There was trusses that were bad. There was bad termite damage. Whatever was it fixed. So you got to know that if you're buying a house. Do we have any questions? Well, I just, uh, you know, I want to, um, you mentioned people stating where they were from and what they're seeing in their markets. So I just wanted to touch on that briefly. Um, at the top of the show, I know we had a San Diego comment, and I'm just trying to grab that really quick. Um, Joe, do you see that one? About the price reductions? About the price reductions in San Diego. I know it was at the very... Oh, here it is right here. What so did we say it was? We <clears> had... 16% so, or something price yeah, reductions? Is that what it was? 16.5% of the actives in San Diego had price reductions. Yeah. So, I mean, there are, there are some areas that are just 
being stubborn. Yeah. And then we had also some people chiming in here. Um, Cameron, we had, I went to an open house on Littleton, Colorado this weekend and no one was there. On top of that, there were four homes for sale on that street, not just one, no joke. Yeah. And then- Cameron, thanks um, for that. Yes. Thank you, Cameron. And then another- um, comment here people from california are moving to vegas more so than denver and colorado now because vegas median price home is four hundred twenty thousand. so i just i can remember uh, vegas back in 2009 10 11 man they had whole streets that were vacant yeah yep. it's coming guys it uh, look it's coming yep i mean we just uh podcasted last week with mike maloney mm -hmm. in uh in san juan puerto rico and Mike was showing charts that is showing that uh, to the median income, the median price to the median income, the house prices need to come down 50% to be in line. And that's the issue. Well, there, there's two issues. Home prices need to come down. I think even if mortgage rates come down a couple of points, it's not going to be enough because of the amount of debt that people are in and the fact that they're not making enough money to buy a house, to afford a house. So it used to be you could buy a house three to four times your income. You make $100,000 a year, you could easily afford a three to $400,000 house. Once you start to go beyond that, it's really, it's way out of, it's way out of scale. Now we're seeing areas like Boston, Massachusetts, where you have to make you you the house is eight times the income. The average income, the house price is eight times the average income. There's no magic here. When when this thing was running up, we knew in the industry, I knew. We were saying this since April of 2020. Yes. So it was 22. So we're 22. Correct. 22 april of 22 yes you know so what happens is there's no magic once the once we start to see where things are getting way out of line it has to come back into line there's no magic here so when people are saying it won't happen we're not going to see home prices come down there is nothing magical about this it has gotten to a point to where it's gotten out of line the problem is is that our government unfortunately has fueled the problem because they don't want things to crash on their watch. So what they do is they develop these programs to kick the can down the road. Back before 1980, we used to have recessions, depressions, panics, all the way back since just about the beginning you know, for the of the United States, we would have these breakdowns every two, three years. Something would happen. We'd have a recession, and it would kind of get in line, right? It would get in line. Well, what happens is when we build these programs to delay things, to extend things, to keep people in their houses, even though they're it's not helping them. You know, give us stimulus, even though we're in now more debt and worse off than we were before we've created so much debt we'll never pay it off so it has to get to these bubbles of such huge proportion 
that we're starting to see the implosion is much greater like we saw in 2008. That was just simply because we allowed the expansion of the bubble to burst, to get to the point to where it didn't make sense. We're there now. We have banks right now that are losing money every single day with a two and three quarter percent mortgage rate or a three percent or three and a half percent, right? They're losing money on that mortgage every single day. They would rather for probably rather foreclose on the house to get the house back so that they could sell the house, get their money back, and generate a higher producing mortgage that they're not losing money on. So, you know, it's become to the point right now where the house is not the asset. This is creating its whole other bubble. So people are holding on to dear life because they had this such unrealistic situation to where they could buy more house than they should have been able to, creating more debt than they've ever imagined because with a 3% mortgage, I mean, you can buy double what you could today. So they bought these bigger houses. They overstretched. They all went out and bought brand new cars. And now people are in financial trouble. But the handcuffs here are the fact that they've got a 3% 30-year fixed rate mortgage. That's their asset. The house is not their asset. The house is declining. The house value is declining. It's not worth today with today's interest rates the same amount that it was worth when they bought it. They wouldn't have been able to afford it. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And we spoke to um, one of our lenders today in our referral network, and she even said with the slight dip in the past week of three-eighths of a point. Three-eighths. Three-eighths of a point. That little bit even had an uptick in in movement in the market that she saw. Um, and also something to be noted with the forbearance that people's credit was still showing as paid on time, which is also something that's very misleading. So now it's going to come tumbling down for so many so many people, it's really on the edge of being very scary. So it is. But like I said, I mean, even with those rates coming down, the house prices are coming down. They so are. it's adjusting accordingly. The problem is it's not adjusted enough. So when mm -hmm. somebody's reducing their home price and it still doesn't sell, with the buyer demand that we have out there, that again is signaling the house is still overpriced. And look, you guys may be sitting out there as sellers and, and be very upset that you're hearing this. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it, it, things were allowed to inflate beyond when we, when we get mortgage rates into a normal range, and we are now in a normal range, if you look at the last 50 years, to have a 7.5% mortgage rate is not bad. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is we were allowed to artificially you know, buy something that we couldn't afford. And now we have a problem that we've got this like, oh my gosh, like if I sold my house, I'll never be able to get all of this for the, the price. 
No kidding. The problem is now you're stuck in your house because your debt is going through the roof. People are sitting on the sidelines. They're so hypersensitized by what happened in 2008. And then you're also hearing people say when the rate goes down to 5%, buyers are going to be flooding the market again and making it crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I think we're, we, we've yet, we're just starting to see this. So in 2006, I kind of think we're like probably sitting right now in 2007 ish so i think we've got a we do have a major problem we got a banking crisis that's going on out there people are in debt they're paying you know 20 percent on their credit cards so uh the other thing before we go any further i want to just kind of talk about i said buyer tips i want to get back to the house that i showed i want to talk to you sellers out there because if you're going to sell you now need to you know, you have to be smarter than your agent, unfortunately, which in a lot of cases doesn't take a lot. But what you have to do is realize that if there's other, if there are other houses in your community that are for sale at the same time as yours, I'd ask my agent to take you through them. You know, I would say to my agent, can you set up appointments and take me through these houses that are my competition? Because clearly in the case of the one I'm talking about today, they didn't do that because there was a house for sale right next door. And the house for sale right next door was tens of thousands of dollars less and it had a pool too. Mm. So um, I, I think it's important that you know what your competition is and you know, as a seller, and you need to make sure that your agents are communicating with other agents that are asking about your property, like for me, for example, which is going to lead me to the next point. And this is going to really upset some agents out there, but I'm going to, I, I don't, you know, look, it is what it is. You know, I don't want you to just hear this stuff through the news because I believe if you know what's going on and you're savvy buyers and sellers, I'm not worried about my job because you know, I know what I do, what we do here and representing, you know, the buyers and sellers. But I, I want to just kind of talk about the money side of things for a minute when it, it's commissions. I mean, we hear that commissions are under attack, the lawsuits, commissions lawsuit. It's going to be a lot more commissions lawsuit. Who's getting paid? How are they getting paid? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Let me tell you, agents are entitled to get paid. The better the agent, the better the pay right? I mean, it should make sense that way. Um, not that they're making more money, but if they're good agents and they're serving people well, they're going to do more business. They're going to get more referrals. So, you know, if you're an agent out there that's only doing one or two transactions, these agents are probably going to go away. We're going to lose the, that pool of agents out there because they're not going to survive. They're not going to make enough money. It's funny. I heard, I, I don't even, I, I can't even, when I'm going on social media, and watching or looking at these posts that agents make, it makes me want to throw up. An agent posted, you know, like, hey, you don't think agents do their job, whatever. And they gave like this 110 point, literally, in this post about everything an agent I does. I saw the same did you post. See that? Yes, blah, I did. Blah, yes. blah. Everything. Like everybody's going to feel sorry for. Yeah. It was a book. It was a book, right? Yes. 
here, here's, here's the bottom line. What this person was posting was what great agents do every day anyway. Right. right. But she was making it seem like every agent does this, and this is what agents do, which is crap. Yes. Because not every okay, agent yeah, yeah. does everything right. Right? right, right. But I want to talk about something. So I had a deal with a uh, buyer. A lot of buyers, I mean, they, they've, they're they maxed out, right? Like I said, so we've got a pre-approval, which doesn't really mean anything. Because with, with fluctuating rates, so let's just say the pre-approval is for $600,000. That's great. At what rate? At what day? Blah, blah, blah. What they really are approved for is a, is a payment amount. So we had to redo, in this case, the... Um, you know, the, the bank's qualification letter to equal the amount that this buyer could pay today. And let's just say it was $580,000 mm -hmm. because that's what it was. We're looking at a house that is $600,000. I called the agent up and said, hey, you know, we want to try and make this. The house, uh, the client loves the house. Look, the buyer can't afford $600,000, period. Well, you know, what can they afford? I, I basically told her, went to the seller. They came back and said, no. We just did a price reduction. Okay. Have you had any showings? No. Have you had any offers? No. It's been on the market for months. Sellers moved out, bought another house. Dead expense. I'm talking about very expensive association fees too. That had to be considered. I said to the agent, hey, I'm willing to cut my commission. Can we make it happen? Well, I don't know what you're willing to cut it for, but that, that may not that may not do it. Well, are you willing to cut yours and we can get to the number that we need to get to? No. Now, I can't make somebody cut their commission, right? I just can't do it. I can make a decision to cut mine, but I can't make somebody else make a decision to cut theirs. But here's where it gets interesting. Would you present that to your seller? And she told me no. She said no. Well, what? Well, if I present it to my seller, my seller is going to want me to cut my commission, and I'm not ready to do that, and she's going to want me to cut the commission if this deal doesn't happen on any other deal moving forward. Listen to me. This is something that's important. Commissions are negotiable, right? I'm not saying if you're an agent listening to this, this might you might not want to hear this. People can't afford the houses that are being priced out right now. We all need to look at everything. We've got lawsuits that are out there. We all need to come together and look at this together and say, what can we do? and work together through this. Now, I'm not saying that because, you know, you all should be asking everybody for, you know, to make a dollar, I, I, whatever. 
you guys figure it out. What I'm saying is you have to have conversations with your agents. You have to know transparency in the transaction because a lot of this lawsuit stuff is a bunch of buyers that are pissed off too that are looking at the settlement table and they didn't even know what they were paying. I was just going to say, what, what they was, didn't know. They didn't even know what the commission was to no. their agent. No, and they didn't know that they could have that conversation to be able to get in the house and say, you know, would you be willing to cut part of your commission? They, they can always say no. They can always say no, but you, I mean, it's, you should know that you can ask. A hundred percent. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, we're going to see that. We're going to see that a lot. We're going to start seeing where, I mean, guys, the, the buyers and sellers are waking up. They're getting smart. The news, I don't have to tell you, the news is telling you. And the comments tell us. And the phone calls into the office tell us, too. Phone calls into the office. And the emails. Let's see if we have any questions. We do. Guys, well, I don't know. Anybody want to come on and, and, you know, talk to us tonight? It's kind of a... Oh, well, we got a finance yay. guy. I don't know what I'm doing. I just deleted something that keeps popping up on my computer. It looks like things he still muted. I'm putting, still, we need we got better. somebody online on deck. Yeah. Oh, he just uh -oh. popped off. Come on, man. He he got nervous. Come on, man. It's okay. <laughs> How about anybody else? We yeah, got a link. Guys. Joe, where's the link? It's pinned up at the top. If you want to come on live, we'll bring you in here. Yeah. We'll talk to you. We'd love to talk Just to you. Just don't get carried away, and it's awkward because sometimes we got to hang up on people because. Let's do a question, though. You just go on and on and on. For, and on. Um, while we're waiting for seeing if anyone joins. Question for Todd's crystal ball. What will future housing look like in residential units, apartment types? My state of Pennsylvania wants, quote unquote, tax breaks for converting malls into apartment units. Charlton, I'm glad you asked this question because we're seeing what's happening with office space right now. It's being converted. Somebody had said in one of our comments, they had said, you'll never convert office buildings. It's insanity. They're being converted all the time. Um, I actually know somebody that converted the old, you love this, the old IRS building down in PG County. Just so happened to be down near National Harbor. Couldn't have timed it any better. Uh, but they bought the building and uh, converted it, I think, into 121 apartments. Guy I know real well. He's developed student housing all over the country. But what happens is this. Office space or malls, retail space, has a very, in most areas, has a very high parking ratio. Way more than you need for housing. Give you, an off, give you an idea. Office, you're about three spaces per thousand square feet. Retail space, you're about five parking spaces per thousand square feet. You got to have plenty of parking. Restaurants, same thing. You need a ton of parking for restaurants. But what happens is these buildings are being converted into more of a mixed-use kind of a thing where they'll take the first floor. I was looking at a project in Toledo, Ohio, about five or so years ago. It was an old hotel that was for sale. What was it called? I can't remember. Lorraine. It was called the Lorraine Hotel. You guys can look it up. Toledo, Ohio. Um, I was looking to buy that. And 
they were redistricting, redoing a whole bunch of things in downtown Toledo. Somebody had bought downtown and they were like New York City making a down, you know, like a warehouse district, a downtown, a midtown and an uptown. And this property fit right in that. Um, but it didn't, it didn't work out for me. They wanted too much money and uh, it was an old building. But anyway, getting back to this, Charlton, we're going to see a lot of these office buildings being converted into multifamily space. Now, whether they'll condo these buildings and sell them off, I think they will. There'll be a lot of that, um, even though I dislike condominiums, but as ownership. But, oh, there we go. Mm -hmm. That's it, man. It's kind of a scary spot. They were like, <laughs> it was it was kind of wicked, man. Mm. Uh, it, it was a weird district. But we were going to do something really cool to it. It was going to be really neat. We we're going to do stores on the first floor, offices on the second floor, and then apartments, uh, you know, the rest of the way. We were going to take the whole top, do a rooftop, and do penthouse uh, apartments up top, uh, outside elevator, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. But anyway, um, it's a very viable option for these office buildings because it's a reduction in density as far as parking the impact is less and the other thing is is that for the developer they usually have enough parking that they can actually sell a couple pad sites or de develop a couple pad sites put a starbucks a dunkin or whatever um you know dry cleaners whatever uh standalone building so i think we will start to see that happen more and more especially as they start cramming us into uh, more 15-minute cities. And I know, I mean, I think that's going to happen. I think we can see evidence of it. I think with getting rid of fossil fuel cars, um, we're, we're going to see where, you know, people aren't going to be able to afford a car. Um, and I don't know how they're going to charge all these electric cars. I mean, that's worse. And they've proven it to be worse environmentally, you know, uh, manufacturing these batteries than it is to to get fossil fuel um, or the results of, you know, uh, the impact of fossil fuel. But uh, but I do. It's a good question. I think we'll see more and more of it. I think malls will be converted uh, to other types of things, maybe community centers with apartments. The problem is we're going to have a glut of, we've got almost, I think, a million and a half of multifamily units coming on the market. And this brings up another thing I'll, I'll talk about. There are a lot of people, a lot of operators that have collected investors' money over the last several years, promising them high returns, uh, double-digit returns, 9%, 10 12% returns. They went and obtained their SEC filing information, you know, filed with the SEC, were able to pull money together, um, and uh, they were buying these multifamily buildings and the apartment complexes. And they were what they were doing is they were pretending like they were the bank. So when the bank, part of the problem why the bank is in so much trouble right now is because they use all of your money. So you go into the bank right now and you put a $1,000 deposit in, they don't even need to keep any of it. It used to be they kept $100 of your money and then they loaned out, created loans for with a 900 of your $1,000. 
And that works great until everybody walks in a bank like they did with Silicon Valley Bank and uh, said, hey, I, I don't trust my money here anymore and I want all my money back and they don't have the money to give you because they've lent it out. And it gets even worse when the people default on the loan that they gave with your money and now they're in trouble and that's where the banks are right now. But these operators of these apartment complexes that have, you know, it's amazing. People have amnesia, The everything's exploding, the bubbles are being created. So these operators were built, you know, you know, buying these apartments for the lowest cap rate, lowest returns with hopes that they're going to make them expensive and they're going to make them amenity rich with your money. But what they did, because they're not smart, is they took the money, some of these operators took your money, they refied the property after they bought it. So you gave them the money to buy it. The investors gave them money to buy it. Then they refied it, took the money, and bought something else without you in a lot of cases. Well, here's the problem. The problem is now a lot of these loans are due. And they 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 obtain these loans at 3%. And now they want eight. And not only that, but the rent delinquencies have driven the property prices, the, the appraised value of these apartments down. Because remember when I said when an investor, when a buyer goes to buy something, they're buying a payment. You live in a house, you're buying a payment. So if the mortgage payment is higher because of interest rates, you can afford less house. So now these investors are going into these apartments and they're having these conference calls with the investors. I know one. And they're saying, we're in trouble. The bank's calling the note. We got a refi. Um, we're going to put it on the market for 40% of what we paid for it. Mm. Some of these are 20, 30 million dollars, 50, 60 million dollars. They're going to put it on the market because the interest rates are almost three times what these investors originally bought at. The properties worth 40% less. These investors are going to be wiped out. A lot of them. They're just going to be wiped out. But what I'm saying is there's a glut of inventory that is in the pipeline. So people spend years getting permits. So as this is all crashing and collapsing, they're still under construction. The other thing that we're not paying attention to is a lot of these jobs construction jobs are these big commercial multifamily buildings when they're done a lot of people are going to lose their jobs so bigger this is a way bigger issue guys than anyone is thinking about than most people are thinking about oh yay let's bring in charles all right charles, here we go can you unmute oh yay perfect can you hear me? He's I low. Can. He is hear. low, Joe. Charles, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Uh, nothing much. Just got for work, and if if it's a little too loud, just let me know. I'm driving my V8 home, so. You're cool. Where do you, you live, man? Where are you Where are you calling from? Uh, I live in I live in Southern California. All right, California. So, um, on the thing about hope, like I've been like I get emails from my realtor. I've been seeing a lot of home decreases. Like I just put up one today. It's a forty-seven thousand dollar decrease on a two hundred thousand dollar home. Well, 
decrease from like 270 something to 220. It's like $47,000 wow. decrease on that home. So I'm like, oh man, maybe I should hit it my realtor because uh, I was looking for homes before, but my realtor, like I've been, I've taken like over a year to look for a home. And she's like, you know, maybe you're just not ready for a home right now, Charles. She's like, you, look, there, a lot of these homes are high price. You're kind of worried about like it being half your check or like 40% of your check. If you do buy one at these rates, so maybe you could, maybe you should just wait. And I was like, you know what? That's probably right. But she's been doing, uh, she's been a realtor for, I don't know, like a decade or so. So she's been, she's, she's not worried about it. She's still selling homes in California. Apparently it's to, um, two income families. Well, you just said that she's only been an agent for 10 years. She doesn't even know what reality is. Well, I'm, 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 I'm just, a, I'm just guessing. I'm not even yeah. sure if it's been like 10 years. So now, the problem is there are a lot of people. Homes. Yeah, there's a lot of people that haven't, they don't even know what, they, they don't even know what reality is. They've never experienced a downturn. I mean, that's the thing yeah. with the, you know, we, since really since 2012, 2013, the market's been going up, 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 up. You know, it's been, it's been great. They didn't, they didn't travel down with it and understand what it was like when people were going through hard times. We haven't really had any hard times. No, so you, we're starting to get into them right now, but I, I'm just hoping Jerome Powell is keeping the interest rates high. That way, he can. I think he's just trying to keep them high so he can see how much damage he can do before he has to decrease them. I think it's kind of what he's doing. If I was to look at it from not a non-professional point of view, just because it, it's just like he's just like, nope, not decreasing. Nope, we're going to keep them high for 2024, maybe 2025, maybe the end of 2024. We'll see. And a lot of people are like, you know, spring's probably a good time for things to crash because I'm a trucker. So there's trucking companies in California going out of business. Mm. There's been like five of them. Convoy went out of business. Um, a lot of the local mom and pop shop ones have gone out of business just because it's hard for them to keep their funding uh, for their trucks be, since the uh, rates have dropped so much. And I'd watched a video talking about um, every time there's a dip, there's been a downturn. It always starts with trucking because that's where everything slows down is people buying stuff. What do you haul? Uh, so I work for JB Hunt. I do um, uh, intermodal. So I take stuff to and from the rail. Okay. So right now, like for like this time of year, it's kind of like um, you know holiday season. So we're trying to get, so stores are trying to get everything out. We do uh, loads for Walmart, for Target. Uh, Target just opened a 1,000, or not, uh, they opened a one mile long building in Paris, California, for as like a fulfillment center for like online stuff, because they're trying to compete with Amazon a bit more for online. And uh, so now we're doing loads to there, which makes traffic terrible because it's two lane highway in, two lane highway out, and there's a lot more trucks, more people live there, so. What do you but, think uh, about but, having an electric truck? No, no, <laughs> I would never own an electric truck. I don't even want an electric car. That's why I just bought myself a V8. Well, it's a 2008 V8. So it's not like I spent that much on it. I can't even and imagine would, the power that's required to, you know, how many pounds do you haul in a, a big truck? Uh, so it's, so Dave, so the requirement is you can't haul, haul anything heavier than 80,000 pounds 
uh, all to get uh, all together for the truck weight, the trailer weight, and everything in it. So probably you can't really go over like forty-seven thousand in trailer weight. And already the EV batteries. I was talking to a Walmart driver that was driving a uh, hydrogen truck, and um, I'm like, uh, I hope that doesn't blow up on you. One. Mm. And then he said that um, on that for the hydrogen truck. I think it's the hydrogen truck. It's also for the EVs that there's been, that's an extra 5,000 pounds. And already companies have gotten, the big companies have gotten waivers to haul up to 85,000 pounds altogether with the battery. And these batteries don't last all day. So we have two electric trucks in uh, Southgate, LA. I don't work out of LA, but I do load to and from LA. And they, they, have, they only have four of them. They keep two in the charger. And then whoever's using electric trucks that day will probably have to swap out midday and then grab the other two trucks, put those trucks back on the charger, and then go either finish their routes or whatever. So I'm assuming they only last for like six to eight hours. And I I myself work like 13-hour days. So that's never going to work for me, being a trucker. Are you and seeing then a also slowdown? We a, um, we're, yeah, I've seen uh, more and more places uh, have less trailers, at least less of ours which means less trailers altogether. Uh, so Walmart, Target, um, Wayfair, um, XPO, um, stuff like that. We're kind of delivering a little bit less to those places. But our but JB Hunt has been uh, picking up more contracts for um, customers. So in Southern California, we're doing more loads for Costco now. So it's kind of a hit and miss. It, it just kind of just depends. There is a slowdown, but for me, myself, with my work ethic, it's not really slow for me, but it is so, slow for a lot of other people out there. So There's you a lot said more you're working how many hours? How many hours a day? 13 hours. Yeah, 13 hour days. You would do that, what, five days a week? Six days. Six days a week. Wow. And and yeah. you're, I mean, you're I'm, busting I'm your a, backside. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a workaholic. I, I just, like, my, my buddy's uh, son called me the Energizer Buddy one day. He's like, man, this guy just keeps going. He just never stops. I'm like, yeah, that's the, that's how I'm wired. So when you're looking at houses go, go, go. right now, are you looking to buy by yourself? Uh, so I'm trying to buy for myself. I'm a first-time buyer, so I'm going I'm trying to buy for myself. And then also, I have I'm I'm a veteran, so I'm trying to use my VA loan. Um, so but the problem is, is like the with the interest rates with the housing prices over here, uh, if for like a three hundred thousand dollar home. That's like almost half my paycheck, and I'm just not going to do it. And that's yeah. like almost half of it just for the mortgage. That doesn't include um, mm -hmm. utilities, gas, food, it's me terrible. having to fix things, me buying things for the house, stuff like that. Well, let me say thank you for your service. We appreciate you. Yep, absolutely. And and then there's um, – I make uh, – so before taxes, I make average – like, it just broke up. Broke up. Did you do? We we couldn't hear you. You broke up. Mm -hmm. oh. I make around seventeen hundred before taxes in California. Gotcha. And then mm -hmm. lately, yeah. because of the holiday season, I've been making a little over two thousand. So after taxes, is like fifteen, sixteen hundred. But even then, that's not enough for me. That's only during holiday season. That's not year round. Yeah. So that's not even enough for me to keep up. So I'm just just paying 
I'm just going to keep paying stuff off and then just st- keep stacking money to the side because mm-hmm. that's what I've been trying to do is just stack money. Do to you the side. do you have credit card debt? Uh, I have some. It's not a lot. It's only like maybe a thousand. Okay, mm. but do you pay that off every month or are you carrying that over? Um, I keep hearing mixed things. I I just try to pay it off. Yeah. Because like like I. Like I've been using a credit repair company to help me fix my credit. Like they'll send letters to the um, uh, major bureaus, and uh, they they've gotten my credit score increased. So it's like um, Equifax is almost 700 now, uh, and so I've just been stacking money and paying my stuff off. And yeah. I just bought like this V8, so like the payment and the insurance altogether is like four hundred dollars it's not like i spent a lot of money on it so well you hang in there man is I, there anything that you want to ask a question um not really a question but uh speaking of like turning uh like warehouses into rentals in la where you can rent a um like 800 like 800 no like 200 square foot like little thing and it's a uh, thousand a month or like nine hundred a month, and all it is is like a bed for you to sleep in in LA. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I LA's mean, got big seen, problems. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean especially after the fire on that ten, the, those those dummies. Um, so, yeah, it's just it. That's why, I, and I just came back from Tennessee for a buddy's wedding, so I'm just thinking about moving out to like out of California anyway. So. That's another reason I've been holding off on buying because I'm like, well, why should I just buy it? Why would I? Why would I buy in California with everything high in California? I just came from Tennessee and gas over there is like two seventy, two eighty. And how much is gas it's where like, you are? Seven bucks. Um, so, inland, it's like five dollars, about around five dollars is like the highest. On the coast, it's like seven. It's okay. crazy. Maybe eight yeah. depending at the more richer places. Yeah. And so I was just wait I was just waiting for um uh gasoline barrels to skyrocket because I, I forgot who I was listening to to say that it might reach like if it, it could with uh, if, if this roar keeps going on in the Middle East, it could reach up to like a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars a barrel. And I'm like, well that sucks for California because sixty percent of our fuel is imported. From like Saudi Arabia, yeah, and other places, and I I don't understand why, but it is. So, mm-hmm. that's all right, buddy. The- well, look, man, we appreciate you. you we appreciate chatting with you, man. But thanks for calling in. God oh, bless yeah, you. Fun. Good luck. All right, thanks. Thank okay, you. Buddy. You know, you gotta love it. I mean, it's you know, here's a here's a guy. I mean, is working six days a week, thirteen hours a 13 day. Thirteen hours a day. And I mean, struggling to live. And this is. Guys, this is what's happening. Let's talk about delinquencies because I want to talk about the facts of what we're about to, um, you know, about to see. So, you can pull up that article, MortgageBankersAssociation.org. This is an association that uh, serves the banking, the mortgage and banking industry. Um, the, the important thing that we want to look at here, guys, is um, I want to look at delinquency rates by loan type is what I really want to do is uh, the total delinquency rate for conventional loans. This is from the second quarter to the third quarter of this year 
for conventional loans went up 21 basis points to 2.5%. FHA delinquency, and this is what I want to focus on, because this is today's subprime. What we experienced back in 2008, FHA essentially replaced subprime lending. They, in a lot of cases, reduced the qualification uh, qualifications that a borrower needed to buy. They allowed, you know, lesser credit uh, um, scores, uh, higher debt-to-income ratios, and really created, you know, these programs where people didn't really put a lot of money down uh, to get the loan. FHA delinquency rate between second quarter and third quarter increased 55 basis points to 9.5%. And VA delinquency rate increased by six basis points to 3.76%. So FHA, the highest delinquency. And by the way, this is what the government is bailing out. This FHA borrower is what seems to be getting the bulk of the bailouts right now, or had been getting the bailouts, and now will still get bailouts probably because they're doing things like, oh, you were going to take your 30-year mortgage and we're going to cast it to a 40-year mortgage, guys. VA's already had that, but they started doing this with FHA. So two things, and, and if you've listened to my videos before, you've heard me say it, but I'm just going to reiterate it. They will take up to 30%. You got somebody that bought a house. <clears throat> they knew what the payment was that they could. They thought they could afford. They get approved. They get the keys. They move in. In a lot of cases, they, they've been bailed out with the moratorium. And now they're saying to them, okay, look, we want to keep you in the house which is good, I guess, as long as you can afford to fix things. Mm -hmm. But we're going to take 30% of your loan balance. It's a lot. 30% of your loan balance, and we're going to put it on a second loan on the back end of your mortgage, and that's going to be interest-free, and you don't have to pay that off until the end if you ever finish paying off your house in 40 years now. And we're going to recast the balance, not to a 30-year, but to a 40-year, and it's going to drop your payments down. Now, this is great. Everybody, I guess, wishes that this could happen. The problem is you're never going to pay off your house. you got a 40-year mortgage. You're going to pay an astronomical amount for your house. This is supposed to be an investment. People buy a house because they're hoping that it becomes an investment for them. But now... It's a burden. Mm -hmm. It's a depreciating asset. People say, ah, the house is not a depreciating asset. It is. Don't fix it and see what happens to it. It depreciates fast. By the time you buy your house, you first five years, you're paying nothing but interest. Now you're going to recast it to 40 years. That's going to reset that. You're really, all you're doing is making the banks rich at this point. And now you're, you're, you're stuck in your house. They're stuck, right. They're stuck. stuck. Yeah. And that's why we're probably going to get to a point where people are walking away. Let's go to the uh, HUD, Joe. 
the uh, that were just so people can see it here. HUD.gov. COVID-19 forbearance on FHA insured single-family mortgages. The COVID-19 forbearance option for FHA single-family insured mortgages and HECM, that's a reverse mortgage for, you know, older people, elderly people. The extensions will end on November 30th, 2023. So what I was saying is that the last day that borrowers can apply for either forbearance option is May 31st. 2023. So that's over, right? Six months is what you could get. FHA standard forbearance options will still be available for borrowers, borrowers who encounter difficulties in making their mortgage payments. Homeowners should contact their mortgage servicer for payment assistant programs options after May 31st, 2023. So that's what I'm talking about, where they're taking and recasting the balances into 40-year mortgages ridiculous mm -hmm. now we did have a comment here todd they initiated a new forbearance policy six more months google fhfa announces enhanced payment deferral policies for borrowers facing financial hardship for a quick read so maybe there's more extension yeah well they did say there's extension options there's more options for these borrowers in fha you know, I mean, it's uh, they the White House does not want foreclosures. Mm -hmm. Pull it up. Yeah, let me go. Let's see what it says. FH FHFA enhanced payment deferral policies. Let's see. You know, I do know that if you have a conventional mortgage and you're having trouble paying your mortgage, uh, there are basically uh, five things that you can do. Uh, one is nothing. You get reinstated. You get your six months reinst you know, for no payments for six months. And then you have to repay all the payments that you missed right away. That's option one for conventional. That's going to be coming December one repayment plan. You establish a repayment plan and pay a portion of your missed payments off each month until the entire missed amount is accounted for. The third option is a deferral, which means that you'll defer the missed payments until the maturity date of your loan. So they take the whole six months that you haven't paid. They throw it on the back and um, they'll make that non-interest bearing. The, uh, the fourth thing here is a flex modification program. Your servicer will permanently extend your loan's term and or lower your interest rate to lower your monthly payments. So now they're saying, look, we don't want this house back. We'll lower even lower your, your interest rate. Or you can refinance. The problem with refinancing is you have to have a job. And a lot of people that aren't paying their mortgages or they don't have a job. They've been laid off, let go, or they're making less. You have to requalify all over again. So if you if you ended up losing your job and you took a job that's for less money, you have to requalify for it. Did you find it? So everything I'm seeing here goes dates back to um, yeah. March and April. Yeah, I don't. I didn't. So yeah, I don't see anything that's coming up that's a, a recent announcement. Yeah, the only recent announcements that I've seen is it's ending. Mm -hmm. But there are other options for you, like recasting if you're FHA. 
Um, well, there are options for conventional too, but I mean, they're, they're just not as good as if you have an FHA loan. So the government is stepping in and um, continuing its, its bailout, which if you have an FHA loan, you're happy about. Mm -hmm. We do have a couple super cash. Joe, did you going to say something? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, just real quick, we have some super cash. I think the economy will crash no matter what the White House does. And we also had another. Was this one. Charles that was on? No, was this is a different Charles. Okay. Yeah. All right. This Thanks, is... Charles. We Thank you, Charles. It. And um, I seen a listing with an assumable FHA mortgage at 3%. Yeah, well, let's talk about this because everybody yeah. thinks that assumable mortgages are the, the, the magic bullet here. Mm hmm. Uh, they're like, oh, yeah, well, you can assume a loan. All right, let me tell you about what you have to do when you assume somebody's loan. If they're selling it for $500,000 and their mortgage balance is $300,000, you have to put the rest down in cash. Right. Or you have to get a second mortgage, which is going to be very expensive. So, yes, you can you know, assumable mortgages sound like a great idea and they sound like a good option in the world of the people that have refinanced and have these low interest rates. But unless you have a lot of cash, it's very hard to take advantage of that to where it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Slick Rick. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. Nope. Same Charles. <laughs> and then how I was about the one on the, the call, man. That's awesome. The, Dude, if I'd have known that, I would have asked you, like, what what do you do to get those freaking arms, man? <laughs> Sheesh. I used to have arms like that. Oh, gosh. I mean, I know I look close to that now, but uh, you know. Yes, we do have a um a viewer that would like to come on. Joe, do you want to bring him in? We got another yep. uh, caller? Yeah, we have another caller. You'll right. need to unmute yourself. Then we're going to talk about contract cancellations because they've been like crazy. And I want to tell you Hi. about uh, a lawyer that I had on uh, last Saturday. You guys should check out his, uh, if you haven't seen last Saturday's podcast, um, you know, it was a real estate attorney, lots and lots and lots of value. David Thurston, he's a friend of mine, uh, but he's also, uh, yeah, he's one of our, uh, preferred referral uh, companies that we have on our website. And I'll just quick shout out to if you guys need an agent. If you're, if, if you don't have an agent and you're looking for a good buyer agent or listing agent, um, we have a lot of agents throughout the country. Chances are we do have somebody in your city. If you go to our website, saxrealty.com, you click on the map of the United States. This is a new program for us that we are implementing. Um, we are doing the best that we can to get it up. And, and running and get profiles on, things like that. Just click on Florida or something, Joe. Show these people while they're looking at it. You know, we've got agents that you can click on one of their bios. You can watch a video of them, very social media style. You can book a call with them. Uh, if you do happen to click on our website and you don't have somebody in your city um, or your state, send an email to me directly. Mm -hmm. uh, just be patient because sometimes it may take us a week or so to get back to you because we do get a lot of uh, inquiries 
of people that need good agents. We take this very seriously. These are agents that have very high reviews, that they are full-time, um, and we do vet them out. Um, look, I can't promise you the best experience all the time. You, you have to do your own due diligence, but I can tell you that these are people that have you know, really passed our initial criteria that we feel are great agents in the industry, uh, and we're happy to help you. We want to help you. We want you to have a good experience. So. Okay. All right. We're ready. CFA finance guy. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for bringing me on. Um, What's happening? How are you? I'm good. Um, I had a question. Um, I'm considering buying a house. Um, it's a four-unit house. Um, it's $1.4 million. Um, I was just wondering, do you think it's a good time to buy right now, or should I just continue to save my money and maybe buy after the recession or next year? Where do you live? Uh, I live in Queens, New York. In Queens, New York? Are you looking to buy in Queens? Is that? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to live there. I'm just going to rent it out, collect the rent, pay the mortgage, basically. How much can you rent it for? Um, so there's four units. Each unit I should be able to get at least 2000 Okay. So you got 8000 in income. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to pay how much for it? Uh, they're asking $1.4 Too much money. It's not a good deal. Uh, do you think I should um, put in an offer maybe at a lower price or just pass or see if they reduce I mean, you should be somewhere around eight hundred, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. If that's okay. what, if did we lose him? No, still, no, okay. have to, yeah. Yeah, so here's here's the thing: when you're looking at uh, rentals, and a lot of people they make these they make this mistake all the time. It doesn't make sense. First of all, I have been investing in real estate for over twenty five years. Um, I have been getting rid of all my residential rentals because of multiple reasons. Number one, um, they're weaponizing tenants against landlords in many places. You've got rent controls, and I get it. Look, a lot of people have been burned by them, but they're hurting mom and pop businesses, and we do need rentals. But the problem that we have here is that there's no money to fix things up when people move out and you get a bad tenant, or if they don't pay you for a couple of months and it takes you seven months to get them out of the place. So if you can't get 1%, monthly rents based on the money that you purchased it for. For example, if I buy a $500,000 multi-unit building, I want $5,000 a month, right? In residential, you're not back billing for common area maintenance. You're not back billing for your insurance payment. You're not back billing for your taxes, right? So you've got taxes, insurance, you've got upkeep, um, New York, they are completely changing. I mean, I think they're one of the, the, uh, the, the first states that are going to require landlords to retrofit and get rid of fossil fuels, gas, and oil burners in their apartments. This is going to be a big burden for landlords. You're going to see a lot of these things get dumped, and uh, I, I, I don't think it's a good deal. Yeah, yeah thank you. I was kind of leaning towards that, too. Um, I have heard of them getting rid of, um, they're trying to make everybody go electric here. So they are putting laws in place for that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I'll probably just end up saving, continue saving my money 
I have a pretty good job. Um, I work in finance. Uh, yeah. Here's what I think. If you, if anybody's listening and they are interested in investing in real estate, I think your, your best bet is going to be specific, you know, commercial, uh, properties. So, you know, stay away from office buildings, but if you can get anything that has warehouse, uh, outside storage, contractor yards are always great. Contractors not able to park their mark vehicles. If you get a good, you know, if you get a legitimate contractor, they're going to have markings on their, their vehicles. A lot of communities don't allow for that. Um, you know, especially if they're in an HOA, uh, they always need a place to put their, um, you know, their, their equipment. So outside storage yards, um, land, you know, uh, land for farming, land for having chickens or cows or whatever. Uh, you know, I think that's a safe, a safe, uh, investment as safe as it gets. Residential, I believe that residential landlording ship has sailed. When you start seeing all of the Instagram people in front of Lamborghinis bragging about they're making $250,000 a month in profit, and they use the, the Burr method and this and that and refinance and pull all the equity out of the house and go buy another one, they are about to have a rude awakening. Not to mention the fact that during the pandemic, the government prevented landlords from collecting rent. They gave stimulus money. They gave 700 and some dollars, you know, uh, unemployment, federal stipend to unemployment. They airdropped stimulus money to every household, and they did not require in that stimulus money to pay their rent. They basically weaponized the tenants against the landlords and said, you can't kick these people out. In Baltimore, as of October 1, tenants are entitled to lawyer representation. If they can't afford it, they can have a, a lawyer appointed to them to you know, prevent themselves from being evicted you know, and for not paying the rent. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Who in the world wants to be in that business? You're crazy. I've been in that business. It's discuss it's a hardest business to be in. And not to mention the fact that everyone dislikes now investors because they know one in four houses are owned by a company, single family houses. There've been a third of the buyers of residential properties year after year after year after year. They were fed to Wall Street back in 2012 right with the you know uh with all the foreclosures bundled up and sold for pennies on the dollar to wall street companies uh so people are really upset about it i think the ship has sailed i think investors should be in these multifamily buildings but it has to make sense financially um and i just don't think it's a good business to be in anymore mm -hmm. it's glamorized okay cool all right let's let's Bring take another caller Beverly, Hi. how are you, Beverly? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you all? I'm doing good. Great. Where are you calling from? Columbus, Ohio. Right. How are you? Ready? Yeah, I'm we're ready. ready. Do you have that's, a question? Let's have it. Yeah, I have a question and a comment, kind of. So we're anticipating Intel coming to Columbus, Ohio. It's actually New Albany, Ohio, which is about 15 minutes from Columbus. And they say it's bringing like they're building it now. So 10,000 jobs, seven of thousand, which are 
construction jobs and then they're saying the average salary is like 130k he said it's going to be the biggest chip manufacturer in the world and they're expecting to build 30 more hotels around new albany 300,000 homes like in the next 30 years i say all that to say like what is going on? i feel like you know this crash people are talking about i'm seeing that in places on the map but i just kind of feel like oh there's no hope for us like with Intel coming here, no way. So, and I'm also a real estate agent actually. And mm. so people are asking me and my opinion and I'm just telling them like, yeah, I don't see it going down at all here. Well, you know, you are in one of the areas where it's the most, you have some of the most affordable housing in the country. Yeah. So, you know, that that is, that kind of puts you in a unique position because and and also you're in a location to where it does it is very attractive for businesses because they can reach the bulk of the country um by a track by tractor trailer truck right so i mean you're in a sort of a real sweet spot and what i'll say about where you live is um geez i tell you i was there not too long ago it's like taking a step back in time i think people still have flip phones the old flip phones i mean i think i saw i think i saw more phone booths where people don't even know what they are. So, you know, you kind of have a, a sweet spot there. It's an anomaly. And, you know, I think that you probably are going to be poised for a lot of growth. The problem is when. So we're still dealing with, you know, you can take all of the, you know, the hope in the world, but you still have the affordability issue where based on current salaries that the numbers still have to work. So, you know, I think that, you know, will you see explosive growth, um, you know, in, in the next year or so? Probably not. I mean, until they start to put these jobs in place and start building out the area, um, you know, you're probably several years off. Now, it all depends. You know, you could say, well, that's great. If I, if I buy a house here and I happen to be in the area that it will appreciate the most, I'll be in great shape in 10 years. The question is, you know, do most people live that long in, a, in one place? And for young people, they're not prepared to buy a house and own it for seven to 10 years. And this is what we're seeing a lot with the remorse. You know, a lot of the younger generation, the millennials bought these houses because they wanted it today. And I'm not knocking on them, but what happened is now they're realizing I don't want to be here anymore. I want to move. So it's preventing them now from taking jobs in other states, from exploring in other areas. So I guess what I'm saying is we want to make sure that it's not the golden handcuffs again, that you're buying something, you're holding on to it in hopes that it's going to be something in 10 years, and you don't even want to be there for that period of time. Now, it's probably a great place to invest. I just said that investing in residential rentals isn't the greatest thing but probably where you are and you probably still have a lot of investors um that are buying up rentals yes we do have a lot of investors here and i was in real estate in 2017 here even yeah 2018 there were houses for 124 i mean we were so affordable and that same house i got to see some of the same houses come on the market 269 they were going for in 2021. So some people are feeling the the inflation pain, the unaffordability here. It's really kind of sad. Like, you know, I saw some of the someone in the comments said 
some of the elderly people or older people are living in their car. And I'm like, oh, that's just so sad because mm. I, I see that too here, even even with our lower prices relative to everyone else. The problem is the people that are domestically migrating there from other states don't think it's a, a overpriced market. You know, so the ones, of course, when you when you're living in an area, I mean, it's just I just had a uh podcast that i shot with a real estate broker in florida and we were talking about this it's like the floridians are pissed off because all the people move from california and new york and philadelphia and they move to florida and the floridians are upset because now their houses have accelerated all the prices have gone up to the point to where they can't live but the people from california are like man this is a bargain i sold my house for three million dollars it was shy of a shack and now I'm going to buy a Taj Mahal for 800000 and I'm going to pay cash, right? And the people in Florida are saying, yeah, but it was a really a $400,000 house, but they didn't see it that way. So what's going to happen is these jobs that are created, they're probably going to hire talent from all over the country, right? Yes. And they're going to bring people in from some of these higher priced areas, and it's going to skyrocket when they eventually get around to hiring those jobs. The question is, and this is the this is the thing, and you have to be mindful because I've watched the development happen. I owned um, eight apartments right near, it was downtown in Baltimore near the old GM plant. The GM plant went bust. We all know that. Um, it was a big piece of property, sat vacant for years, tons of crime uh, moved into the area, projects right up the street. And when Amazon bought it, Everybody was like, holy cow, it's, they're going to build an Amazon Supercenter here. And everybody thought it was going to be the best thing in the world. And the values were just going to go up. And that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Because they didn't pay people the money that they need for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, a lot of these companies, they're keeping people poor. So they bring in all these jobs. They tell you it's going to be $100,000 a year, but it's not. So that's the problem. You can't believe it. So everything's a wish. They put these great plans together to, to get tax credits and, hey, we're going to do all this and we're going to hire all these people and we're going to make the area great and blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is it ends up that big business, they just want to get rich and they don't want to pay people because they want all the money. And so that's, you know, that's the issue that we have, you know. So would I bank on it? I don't know that I would bank on it. I would probably wait and see it first. I'd have to see some earth being moved around before I would be convinced to do it. Okay. Yeah, okay, thank you. I got to go. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Appreciate you. Uh-huh. All right. We have one more waiting. Well, we got Phil Simon. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Hey, Brett. Brett, how are Hello. you? What's going I on, go buddy? By, I went by the, I go by the handle, stay curious in the chat. That's who I am. Oh, okay. oh, stay cool, curious. Cool. Okay, right. cool. Hello. Um, hi. I had something that's just been bothering me for a while, and I'm trying to figure out what it means because, um, was it Mike Maloney and Peter Schiff have been talking about the banks holding these 30-year mortgages and also the bonds causing these unrealized losses with the banks? And I'm just trying to figure out, does that mean the banks are, are actually losing money every month that they hold these mortgages? Or is it something that's just potentially going to become losses in the future? And how would that happen? How would they actually realize these losses? Yeah, well, the problem is, is that 
with a lot of the banks, they don't have deposits. So deposits are down. And what they do with the deposits is they lend money. So when they don't have a lot of deposits in the bank, they can't make these other loans to make up for the fact that the money that they borrowed, you know, is they're losing money on the money that they're borrowing to operate and to, you know, uh, keep their branches open. And, you know, so what we had was a lot of cash that was injected into the banking system. And then with everybody going out and spending their money on credit cards and things like that, their bank account balances are down. So when a bank is out borrowing money at five and a half percent and they have a 3% mortgage that they're collecting, they're losing money. So, you know, I mean, these guys are, they, they know a lot more about this than I do. I'm a real estate guy. I'm not a finance guy, but I just spent the last week last week with them trying to understand the banking crisis. And, you know, it, it, it does make sense, you know, and that's why they're bailing, they're, they're bailing banks out. That's why they're prepared to even bail, you know, any bank out that is, that will become financially insolvent. So I think ultimately what's going to happen is they're going to have to print more money. And what that's going to do is give us more inflation. And, you know, and that's why these guys believe in gold, right? So, I mean, Peter Schiff, Mike Maloney, I mean, they're gold. They, they, they're selling gold, you know? So, of course, um, they're going to say that, you know, the dollar is going to collapse and, and the gold is going to be what you need to be investing in because that's your hedge against the dollar collapsing. Then we interviewed, I interviewed a guy named um, Brent uh, uh, Thompson, not Brett Thompson, my Joe. What's Brett? Was it Brent Thompson? Johnson. Brent, Brent Johnson. Sorry, late here. Um, anyway, Brent Brent Johnson, and he's a good one to look up. But Brent believes that the dollar is going to continue to be strong, and and because we're the the world's currency, reserve currency. Um, so it's interesting. I don't really know what's going to happen in the banking industry, other than you know they are losing money. And there is the battle between the, the these finance guys that are saying the dollar's going to collapse, the dollar's not going to collapse. All, all I know is that we have an affordability crisis that's on our hands and a debt crisis. So if the, if the, if the, if the borrowers are defaulting, that is going to add to the banking crisis. So if we got $1.3 trillion worth of credit card debt and you figure, let's just say 30% of that defaults, that's a lot of money that these companies are, they don't have it coming in to satisfy their debt and they have to go out and buy or, you know, borrow from the Fed more money to operate and run their bank and keep themselves solvent because the money that they're getting from these, on these mortgages isn't enough to outweigh the losses that they're making. So, you know, it is a, it, I wish I could give you a better answer on it, but it, it does appear that it is a banking crisis. Okay. Well, thank, thank you for taking my question. So No problem. Right, Sounds bye. good, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks thank for you. your call. I think we got, well, we got Phil. No, we have Simonetta, Phil. We got broker hey, Phil. Phil. Is he, he's on deck. Hey, what's happening, guys? What What's happening? How are you, buddy? Good, good. Just I'm actually driving back to Jacksonville from Orlando. 
we're trying to put together a development deal on 20 acres and i think we're close but i wanted to call in welcome back to the mainland first of all thanks buddy <laughs> how was everything good it was great the weather was crappy and yeah. <laughs> uh, but the food was good and and uh you know it's interesting man i i, I can't believe you know, a lot of the Puerto Rican people, I don't think, really care for uh, the people in the mainland, uh, the yeah. state side. Um, There's a culture clash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, there were some pretty nasty signs driving down the, you know, yeah. that the uh, the, that the, uh, the paint can artists were making uh, on yeah. sides of buildings and stuff about, uh, you know, against the colonization of, you know, um, I think the word, well, I'm not even going to say it, but anyway, <laughs> it's, yeah. Phil, they are, crazy, but it was fun. We had a good time. What, what I, what I got out of it is that a lot of people go to Puerto Rico to avoid paying taxes. It's a 4% tax, uh, to, you know, Americans. And from what I understand, the Puerto Ricans actually pay a 12% tax. Yeah. So, yeah. um, that may be one of the reasons why they don't like American yeah people moving to Puerto Rico. Yeah. I'd rather pay I'd rather pay the taxes for the conveniences of the mainland. <laughs> so but um well what I was gonna say was I wanted to call in the gentleman that you were talking to um about the investment in uh, New York about buying the building. You know one of the, one of the things I'm looking at is looking at multi unit residential. And I'm looking between like five and fifteen units because it's like a sweet spot. You know, you have the big investors and the hedge funds, they're buying, you know, 20 units and up. And then you have the mom and pop investors buying, you know, one, two, three, four units. So there's an open window between five and 15 up to 20 with multi-residential. And then you have all the depreciation elements when it comes to taxes and everything else. So one of the things that I'm talking to people about when they want to buy investment properties is going stepping up it's bigger numbers and that scares people sometimes but it's bigger numbers the percentages are better yeah you're borrowing more you're putting a little more out but your percentages on your returns are better and you have the tax breaks of all the depreciation so that's one of the things that i'm talking to people about because you know like you were saying you get a bad tenant they don't pay you i mean down here in florida it takes 30 45 days they're out but up north, I mean, you're talking New York, you're talking, it might take you over a year to get some people out, you know? So that kind of hinders you when it's going single family, even one or two units. But when you look at the, the larger, you know, five to 15, you're in that sweet spot. You have less competition because the bigger investors are going larger units. So it opens up a window for people. You know, yeah, you gotta you have a management company. You're not gonna manage yourself mostly, most people. But it gives you a little more flexibility and it gives you a little more cash flow and bigger percentages of returns after you have all the write-offs. So I thought I'd just throw that out there. Maybe that could help somebody that's looking to spend that kind of money. I wouldn't do it in New York, of course, <laughs> but you know, you can put that kind of money into a, uh, in a smaller town and in a less populated area and have solid rents and, um, you know, be, be in a pretty good position instead of being like in one building with one renter. You know, it kind of gives you a lot of risk. So, yeah, well, I, I think. For you yeah, guys. no, no, it's it's definitely food for thought for people that want to get into that residential yeah. rental industry, which I still don't think it's a great business to be in. But yeah, you know, I'm tough. just 
I'm just one person. But I, you know, um, I mean, I did have, you know, uh, a fair share of these through the years. And, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with the building construction, too, because if, if you stack a building and it's wood construction, you can hear everything a neighbor's doing. Yep. And that can create a whole host of problems, too. <laughs> sure. but in Baltimore, we do have a lot of 12 unit, 20 unit, 18 unit buildings. Um, that's about as big as we get. You know, when I get an investor that call me up and say they want to buy a hundred unit apartment building or a complex in Maryland, they just don't exist. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. definitely. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. So what? Yeah, what, what else you got going on? Anything? Just working like crazy, man. I got I got the uh, the Tennessee deals done. We got a bunch of stuff happening. List. I got listings. I got uh, a lot happening. The the traffic is down. You know, I I, I have a lot. Yeah, I mean, prices are coming down. We have some reductions we're going to be doing this week. And it's throughout Florida. You know, I have one in the villages, one in Jacksonville, uh, one in Punta Gorda. Um, I'm pulling one in Fort Lauderdale shortly and uh, working on a few others. But it's the trend of everything, like, clogging up and slowing down. I mean, the inventory uh, between the three MLSs, I have the three. I have one in Jacksonville from North Florida. Um I have the uh, Orlando Regional, which is like the center of the state from Daytona to Tampa and down to Cape Coral. And I have beaches, which is, you know, St. Lucie County all the way down to the Keys. And what's happening is the inventory. I mean, in the last seven days, we have 10, 15,000 properties going on the market. Um, you have, you know, seven, 8,000 price reductions. You have two, 3,000 deals falling apart, going back on cancellations. Um, you know, their contracts are falling apart for some reason or another. And all that's all that's real time. So, you know, the public doesn't see that until next month. However, we're seeing it in real time and the, the market, a lot of things are hitting and nothing is really selling. And the price reductions are happening in a large percentage. So I think mm -hmm. next month, when you see the numbers for November, I think it's going to be a big wake up call. Um, you got some of the worst here. stats, man. You got some. Florida's got some of the worst stats in the industry yeah. right now. Yep. You yep. knew that. Besides I sinkholes, do. besides <laughs> sinkholes, and you and I have talked about that. Um, you have you get you, you got a lot more than sinkholes, right? So yeah. there's, you've there's got a lot going Jacksonville, on, Jacksonville, Florida. Last month, twenty four percent contract cancellations. Or that yep. out of the top ten, you've got one, two, three. Four, five out of the top ten worst contract cancellations, you yep. have five of them. Twenty-four percent Jacksonville, twenty-three point six Orlando, twenty-two point seven Tampa, twenty-two percent Fort Lauderdale, right? Miami, twenty percent cancellations. You got people walking away from contracts like mad. Yeah, and you know, and, and a lot of them are walking away from deposits too. They're letting it go. They don't. They're, they're losing their deposits. Mm -hmm. And look, you know, guys, you better you better wake up out there. If you yeah. if you're trying to buy something, don't let your agent sucker you into putting a yeah. big deposit down, because <laughs> you just heard what Phil said. You're going to lose it. What you have to do. I had an, a really uh, interesting last Saturday. If you guys care to watch it, it's a long one. I don't know. It may. It's probably like an hour podcast. Not quite as long as this podcast uh our tuesday night podcast we usually go around two hours but anyway this podcast is with david thurston he's a real estate attorney and, and i was asking him phil i was saying yeah. to him i said look 
Why is it? Because we're seeing it in Maryland too, where the 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 agents are just calling up saying, "Hey, I'm sending you over release." My buyers are walking away, and you're like, "What? Your buyers are what? They're what? They're yep. you get, you're in a contract. We've gone through the contingencies. You've had your home inspection. You've gone through the appraisal process. You wrote. What What do you mean they're canceling? We're canceling. Yep. The buyers backing out. So what yep. I said to him is, does the contract mean absolutely anything anymore? Does it mean anything? Because it's like, no, it doesn't. I'm not an yeah. attorney. But there it is right there, mm -hmm. guys. You guys should watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. It's I amazing. That. Really good info. Yeah, great really information. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be a buyer. We talk about Especially all the hangups. The problems. The problems with the title, whether, you know, encroachments, yeah. things that you should know that your agents don't tell you about. And uh, most agents don't tell you about. But anyway, the yep. bottom line comes down to, guys, if you're buying a house out there, I'm not telling you to walk away from your contract, but it doesn't seem to me like there's a whole lot of pursuit going on. They're more interested in suing the agents and the brokers than they are yep. the buyer or the seller for backing out of their deal. But here's the thing. I'm, some of these buyers are like, man, I'm glad I did. I lost $3,000. Thank God, because if I'd have bought it, it would have been a money pit and I'd be miserable yep. for the rest of my 25 years of living there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, speak, the, speaking of lawsuits, before I go, speaking of lawsuits, today I had a deal close and the agent, um, the, it, I very rarely deal with buyers, but my deal that was closing in Jacksonville for the, I, I was on the sell side, they were buying in Tennessee. So that's, remember I told you I got the license in Tennessee to help them get that done. Right. So, yep. so I did that. And we finally closed that today, that, that, that completed today. And um, I was a little nervous because the agent for the listing was um, Century 21. And I wanted to see what they were going to do, if they were going to try to change the, the commission. Because, you know, it was two, you know two and a half percent coming to me as the buyer agent. And I wanted to make sure in the CD and everything was okay. Because I didn't know, you know, since they settled that case, who knew? I didn't know what they were going to try to do, you know, with any current contracts. And when I got the CD, everything was on there correct. So I was a little, I was a little you know, concerned if they were going to try to make me come after them, you know, depending on what was going to happen with that, because they changed their policies now where they don't have to, you know, they don't have to, have to pay the buyer's agent. So I didn't have any issues with that. I just thought I'd tell you that that was pretty interesting. So I was a little curious to see how that was going to go. Gotcha. Well, cool, buddy. Well, we're glad out. you hopped on, man. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, Good man. seeing you, buddy. Great, great idea, guys, of having the call. It's really cool. I wanted to say that, yeah, too. Yeah, we, we do it every now and then. Yeah. Appreciate fun. it, buddy. Thank you. Yep. All right, guys. All right. We got somebody we else. Some more. We got a couple on deck. Hey, Todd. Hey, hey what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm out of uh, Connecticut, actually. Active duty and everything. Uh, nice. I've been watching... Your show, uh, Travis's show over at Real Estate Mindset, Orlando Minor. So really great community to fall into. Um, awesome. I first started looking at all the real estate, I guess, community and everything when I got into buying. So just to give you a little backstory, basically, we were under contract for a property. And that's along the time that I came into all the channels and everything with all the information that was free out there, you know, trying to be as informed of a buyer as I possibly could. Um, I did the whole VA loan process. Uh, the house actually appraised under for about 9,000. And once I caught wind of that, I started looking into the history, the transaction history of the house and found that in 2000, I believe it was 2017 and it sold for 
179,000. Now, uh, as we know, uh, Connecticut in general has like a higher tax, uh, higher tax rates and everything. Um, I'm not from here. I'm actually from down south and quickly saw that it was a money pit and the seller wasn't willing to do anything as far as concessions. They wanted like an as is situation, which unknowingly to me, um, we kind of had already agreed to that. And I was able to secure half of my deposit back because it was a more than fair situation for them coming from their purchase price and everything. Um, the issue I think with Connecticut that I'm seeing is that people are migrating from New York and coming into Connecticut because like you said earlier in the channel, it's a lot cheaper for them to move from New York and commute to Connecticut or sorry, move to Connecticut and then commute to New York. So it's a bunch of different like factors and I'm seeing that more as I become more informed of a buyer, but I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I was like, I don't really know what's going on here, but kind of uh, telling into the previous speaker, we are seeing inventory pop up and like the right houses that have been renovated quickly turned over flipped, so to speak. Right. I mean, there are good flips from what we've seen, but uh, this is just kind of what I'm seeing here. I'm about to actually uh, rotate back to sea and go down to Virginia where I'll be trying out a housing, another housing market and just kind of waiting to see what's going on there. Yeah. Well, you know um, what you're saying is true. So I, I like to sort of relate it, the, the housing market to um, the stock market. And what we see is if you went out today and you bought a thousand shares of Apple or you sold a thousand shares of Apple, you would not move the price at all, right? Your your sale of a thousand shares by five thousand shares is not going to move the Apple stock price from your purchase up or down, whether you sell it, buy it, or sell it. But the housing market, because you're dealing with one investor in that homeowner in that particular neighborhood significantly moves the price unlike the stocks yes based on their ability or desire to overpay right or a seller's desire to undersell so what happens is when you get people that are moving from new york city or a lot of people from california where the real estate is a lot more expensive in a lot of cases I'm not talking about upstate New York where you could still buy a house in the middle of nowhere for $200,000. But when they can buy, sell their house and have a pocket full of cash and they come to a place like Connecticut and they say, hey, I like this house. I'm willing to give them outbid everybody else and overpay $100,000. I'm still to the good. I get what I want. I paid cash. I moved the needle, right? So that's what we've watched happen very quickly and why we kept seeing 20% year-over-year price appreciation. Price appreciation, appreciation, not the actual value of the property, right? It gives a real false sense of value to the neighborhood, to the sellers, to the homeowners. Wow, my, my house is really worth a lot of money because so-and-so just overpaid. Yeah. But the, what I caution everybody is that the same way this happens going up, it can happen very quickly coming down. So now we're in an environment, you know, where there aren't a whole lot of sales. 
Now we're in an environment where we're starting to see more distressed sellers coming on the market. Distressed sellers does not mean distressed houses. Doesn't mean that the house is in bad shape. It means that the seller has to sell. They lost their job or they're moving for another job or they're moving for a family member or somebody dies and they need to sell it, right? So for whatever reason, now we're in an environment where it's not the best time to sell. So a seller may decide, hey, I'm going to undercut the market because I need to sell. And I don't care if I, if I drop it $100,000, I'm going to drop it 20% or whatever to get a quick sale. Well, that's your new comp in the neighborhood. Now, all of a sudden, the neighbor says, wow, I can't believe I sold a house. I put it on the market for a price. The neighborhood called me up. They're like, why? Why are you putting it on the market for that price? Like, well, you haven't been inside the house, number one. You didn't know in this situation. But the neighbors were concerned. They're like, oh, my gosh. Now, it ended up bidding it up, and, you know, it was a strategy, and it sold where it should have. And But my point is, is that very quickly, that one sale could have dropped everybody's value as far as a comp. Now, you only have a couple sales happening in a month or six months, if at all, and that one sale will can adjust the price in the community very quickly. So that's the well, that's what I caution everybody about the market. It can go up. One of the reasons why people were walking away from their mortgages back in the 08 crisis was not because they couldn't pay their mortgage. That is not everyone that walked away. These are people that walked away because their house was worth $150,000, $300,000 less than what they paid for it. And they were like, screw this. My neighbor just bought it, you know, bought the same house that I have just about for $150,000 less. I'm not going to keep paying my mortgage. And they just walked away. So, you know, there, it, it, that's why we're in such a, you know, in a critical time in the housing market because anything could happen very quickly. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate you calling in and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Best Thank wishes you. to you. All right. All right, we got another got another one on deck. Tony. All right, Tony. What's Hi, happening, Tony. Tony? Hey, how are you guys doing? Tony. Tony. <laughs> anyway, um, my question is more um, to along the lines that, you know, my wife and I, we bought an apartment complex in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in 2004. So we already hold it for about 19 years. Um, and if we were just wondering would it, if we, it's a good time to turn around and sell it, uh, and then just grab the money, perhaps, and put it in a, on, on, on T-bills that are paying like about 5% right now, or just keep on holding it for, let's say, for another four or five years. We are planning on retiring in about two years. So this is a house that you're living in? No, 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 no. This is an okay. apartment complex that we bought in, in Tulsa, okay. Oklahoma. We currently okay, so it's an apartment in, complex you bought in yeah. Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's right. And we is it cash flowing right now? Well, the mortgage is paid off. I mean, it definitely is cash flow. Rents have. What is that property rents. worth if you were to sell it? Do you know? Uh, we paid three hundred for that. I imagine it's probably around uh, maybe twice as much as that. I would imagine. So six hundred thousand, and what yeah, what are you so bringing around. in in rents? It's collecting. Let me see. A year is collecting about fifty five grand minus. Okay, so five thousand, right? About yeah, little four forty some hundred a month. Yep. Yeah. 
Did you, uh, so I'm not an accountant, but I'm just asking no, this no, question. No. Um, did, did you, um, <clears throat> have you been taking the depreciation on it? Yep. Did you do any kind of advanced cost segregation or you're just taking the standard depreciation? Just year? taking the straight line depreciation, which is about 27 years and a half. Right. Um, how long have you owned it? 19 years. Okay, so you're going to get recapture on every penny that you've taken back. That's so you right. need to you need to talk to your you you need if you if you don't fully uh depreciate the structure and you sell it before it's fully depreciated and I'm not an accountant, but talk mm -hmm. to your accountant because it may be a huge tax liability for you to sell. So you might have to continue to hold it for another, you know, 8 years or so. Okay, got it, got it, got it. That's what okay. I would do. Yeah. And I mean, if you have tenants in there and they're paying you and it's cash flowing and they're not giving you a hard time, I'd hold on to it. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It's a Definitely. Good, it's a second, right. a good second opinion. <laughs> All right. Check with your accountant though. Don't just take my word for it. No, 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 definitely. No, no. Whatever we're talking here, I understand is just, just an opinion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's correct. All right, guys. Thank you All so right, much. Take care. Thank you. All right. God bless, man. Bye-bye. All right, we got Victor, Victor on deck here. What's up, Victor? How are you, man? Hey, guys. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yes. We got you. Okay. Hey, I'm out of Seattle, Washington. I'm also a real estate agent, and I'm a aspiring YouTuber. But, um, hey, what I've been noticing in this area, and I don't see a lot of other agents actually talk about this, but it's the rental cost per square foot versus the mortgage per square foot. And where I'm at in this area... So to give you an idea, just this apartment, it's a two bedroom, one bath, uh, 700 square feet. Well, if I was to turn around and buy this right now, it'd be $3,800 a month at least. Um, right now, though, my mortgage, uh, my, my rent is only 2000 So where I'm seeing inside my in individual markets, I check and I just looked at the areas. Um, I'm seeing 150%. I'm seeing 190%. I'm seeing 200% more. Um, at this current rate. And also in the Seattle market, we're seeing a decrease about 10 to 10 to 15% at least every single year. And right now, um, depending on the area, um, I'm seeing inside of the Seattle, uh, the greater Seattle area outside also, you know, within 50 miles, you know, we're looking at 30, 40, 50% decreases year over year. Um, so just so you know, it is, you know, affecting some of the big uh, markets out on the coastal left over here. So the coastal wall is cracking. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, it, that's in most of the markets in the country right now, it's cheaper to rent than buy. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, that's a, it's a problem. And that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that we have to have a major, either two, one of two things has to happen. We either need to see a huge wage growth, um, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months, or we need to see prices come down. I don't think we're going to see 3% mortgages again. I think that would be ridiculous. That would be the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. We never in the history of mortgages had the low interest rates that we've seen uh, you know, in the last decade, and it was all stimulus uh, based on the last bubble, the last cr housing crash. And the government stepped in and started buying mortgage-backed securities and that's the only reason why we saw those low rates. So now we've allowed the prices to inflate and it's a crisis. So here's the thing. Imagine this. 
how can we avoid this? We know prices need to come into line for people to be able to afford it, right? We know that. If people want to sell their houses, they have to drop the price or they just don't sell them. Now, when the prices have to drop or adjust adjust down, what does that do for the appraised value, the, the now new market value of the neighborhood, when all of these mortgages will be, the houses, the, the borrowers will be underwater because their house would be worth less than what they owe on it. What is going to be the answer there? And I know we're going to have the smart people on the channel in the comments are going to say, well, real estate prices only go up. Well, that's if the people can stay there and continue to pay their mortgage for the next decade or 15 years, however long it's going to take. Here in Maryland, people that bought in 2006, a lot of the buyers in 2006 could not get the price they paid for the house until 2022. That's a long time. Right? I mean, that it took for them to get back to the price that they paid in 2006. That's not counting. That's if everything was kept up. You go 15 years out, 16 years out. What have you done to the house? If you've only lived in it, depending on whether it was brand new when you bought it, now things are starting to go up. You got to replace the water heater. You have to re replace the heating and air system. Your roof probably is getting close to needing replacement. So now they've spent money or they need to spend money. And that's what we're dealing with now, right? Most of the people that bought in the last couple of years didn't even get a home inspection. So they're dealing with things now. If they go to sell those houses, you think the buyers right now are getting home inspections? 100%. Do you think they're going to be satisfied with your broken stuff in the house or your worn out furnace? No. So now they have to not only deal with the things that aren't working or that are end of life in order to sell their house they're dealing with buyers that can't afford the payments uh, you know we it, it, we've been saying this for quite some time and there's a lot of people that disagree with it i think more people like yourself and i'm not saying that you were in disagreement but a lot of agents were in denial now they're waking up to the fact that they can't pay their bills because their buyers aren't flooding in. Well, guys, we still have a huge buyer demand. If things come into line, they're going to get absorbed very quickly, right? The inventory that's coming up, the new houses that are being constructed. We're not even seeing the truth of the inventory of new construction, right? The shadow inventory, they're not putting it on the market. The contract cancellations, the people that have put their house on the market took it off in 30 days because nobody bought it. Right. And they still, the Airbnb, we haven't even talked about the Airbnb market. You know, all these houses now, and you're dealing with areas like Dallas that have forbid Airbnb. You know, and, and a lot of the municipalities are saying if it's not your primary residence, you can't have it. A short term rental. All these people went out, they bought these houses, a million of them. They, they have uh, furnished them. You know, they're, they're, they spent money, $30,000 putting furniture in there. Right now, they're coming to the realization that their insurance is doubling and tripling and quadrupling. That's a huge number. Now it's costing you twenty five hundred, three thousand, five thousand dollars for your insurance policy when it was twelve. Right, not to mention your property taxes. So all everybody that is saying that we're not in a situation here, we're not in a crisis, that everything is good, has got their hand in the head in the sand. Right, or they're cheerleading the market. You know, and and in hopes 
that something miraculous is going to happen. The miraculous ship sailed with COVID-19 being canceled, right? That was your once-in-a-lifetime miraculous ship that came in that blew this market up because of the amount of money that was injected into the economy. Now we are paying the piper. We've got the euro dollar, you know, that is 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 being traded. But I mean, I mean, if you think about the U.S. dollar, you know, we're the we're the world's reserve currency, and we're in, that's what does that say? You know, we're in debt, right? We're going to run out in 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 not too long of time. The debt load for our federal government, our debt load, is going to outpace the amount of taxes that's that we collect from taxpayers then what what happens then we're going to raise taxes we're going to go back to 90 percent you know income tax it's not i mean it, it, it's we've it, things are a mess things yeah. are a mess and what you're one, saying one is thing exactly out here right. one, one thing out here just so you know like you know we're looking at you know incomes and you know i go through the census and I figured that out, but the average income in this is between 90 and a hundred thousand, 90 and $130,000. And, you know, our prices on just on average, I'm looking at them right now are like 1.2, 1.3, you know, or nine or 10, you know, times income at this point in time, you know, and I'm work. also looking at, you know, right now on the Seattle, you know, the greater Seattle, the time on market, what the MLS is telling us isn't isn't exactly true because you know i'm pulling all these numbers and we're at like 50 60 70 days on market right now so if you miss your window on your sale you know you're going to be sitting there and sucking wind just last week i was at a house that was half a mile from here it was two 2.7 million dollars no one's came in there for the last like 30 days they're taking it off the market um and they advertise that right then and there you know, they're like, we're going to take it off of the market at the end of the week unless you're going to bring a seller. Well, I told her, quite frankly, you're actually about 700000 above the market right now. Um, so that's some things that we're seeing out here. And you just didn't so make you a know, friend you know, there, did a, you? What was that? You didn't make a friend on that one. <laughs> no, I didn't make a friend. And I just got banned from a Facebook account, uh, <laughs> oh. a, a Facebook group. You know, I'm out here talking... I got in a fight with my one of my mortgage people this last week because you know I'm pretty honest about these numbers and I really think that it's going to be the agents like like you guys uh, being honest out there and you got to be direct because these people they're signing up for a 30 year mortgage you know mm -hmm. I want to yeah. be here in 30 years the, so thank look, you the ship has sailed mm. I don't think we're ever going to see another run like this if we look at the bubble. You know, if, I mean, just look at the history of home prices on the Fred chart. I mean, all you have to do is look in the history of the prices. We have never seen prices skyrocket ever like they have. We have not had wage growth. growth. Look, in, in 19, I think it was 1983 to uh, 1983 to 2000, I think it was. I mean, home prices at that point in time went up like 300%. Wage growth was 17%. I mean, it does, look, there you go. Joe's pulled it up. Pull it back up, Joe. I mean, look at this. Look, look at the chart. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. 
Look at the 2008 downturn. That ain't nothing like we're going to see. Right? Look how high we were. I mean, we're going to see. I mean, what what it's it's going to be crazy. I mean, this is just my opinion. I don't have a crystal ball, but this is my opinion. It doesn't make sense. I think that we, you know, the, the next, you know, we'll, we'll see what next magic, uh, you know, what what kind of magic the uh, the Fed pulls out of their magic hat. Um, but I think uh, I think they've got themselves into a situation where they're scratching their head and they go, wait a minute, if we drop interest rates right now, what is that going to do to the market? Well, according to Barbara Corcoran, home prices are going to soar. If you don't buy now, you're going to miss your golden opportunity. I don't even know who she's talking. Who is she talking about that can that that can afford higher home prices? We were having. Let me just say this: How long have you been a real estate agent? Two and a half years. Ten years corporate sales before this. Okay, so six and, years Marine Corps yeah, also. Okay, I just so I can contextualize. So here's mm -hmm. the thing: People couldn't afford it where the prices are right now when interest rates were 4%. They couldn't afford it. They needed mom and dad. First-time buyers needed mom and dad to give them $50,000, $80,000, $100,000. That's not affording a house. That's getting bailed out by mom and dad. Right. So if we look at it and we go, okay, well, if interest rates drop to 4%, 5%, they're not. But if they do, what is that going to do? They couldn't afford it then. They're not going to afford it now. The only difference is mom and dad are going to have to look at it and say, do I have enough money to even live if I give you another $50,000, if I give my kid fifty grand to buy a house right now? They weren't helping the situation. They exasperated the situation by helping their kids. A lot of times, look, they just bought a permanent, you know, uh, donation, monthly donation to their kid. Now they're going to buy their kid a heating and air system. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because the buyer curve has shifted downwards as interest rates have gone up because it's definitely moved the buyer bell curve itself. And at the same time, like you just mentioned, the multi-generational housing, it is pretty solid up here. You know, we have a lot of uh, migrant work and we have, uh, you know, we have uh, Microsoft, we have, you know, Amazon out here. We're a big tech, you know, central area. If I have a house that has a second bedroom in it, that a second primary, that's gonna be a huge seller right then and there. But at Victor. the same time, I'm having conversations with my clients and they can't afford now to take that money out of their house and actually give it to their. Uh, Victor, their let people. me ask you a personal question. What are you going to do? What was that? What are you going to do? In the market? I'm staying in. You're going to, you're going to make it. Yeah. I'm a full-time agent. I've been doing this for two and a half years. I had 10 years in corporate sales before this. Um, this is this is sales. You probably made a paycheck in your corporate job. You know, I just had a call with them actually a couple of weeks ago, and you know, the door is still open. But the, at the same time, my clients they 
they rely on me. And this is this is more of a this is more of a personal mission at this point in time. You know, I haven't I haven't made quite nearly as much as I did in my old corporate sales job. You know, but at the same, I am I'm out here putting my nose to the grindstone. And I respect that, man. So am I. I mean, it's I respect that. I mean, it, you you've got to be brutally honest with your clients and. You can't, I mean, you got to have to put their needs in front of yours. And it's hard to do when you're, you know, when you're sitting there going, oh man, I got, I need my, I need a, I need a commission check. And I don't know what a lot of agents are going to do. I mean, you sound like a good one. You sound like you're, you know, uh, you're digging in and that's good. I commend you for that. Uh, you're not, you're not yeah. cheerleading what a lot of people are still trying to do. So I, I mean, I see the post all the time. Hey, the interest rates dropped a quarter of a point. You better hurry up now, guys. You better jump in. You better buy the house. You better make, what you better do is you better make a checklist. And if the, if the house doesn't check 90% of the boxes, you better not buy it. That's what you better do. Yep. And, and the, and the, the boxes have to be, you need to look at that house and say, what's this house going to cost me in the next five to seven years that I live in it? And can I afford to fix things when they break? And if you don't do that, you're in you're in you're in big trouble. But anyway, we yeah. appreciate you, man. Keep in touch with us, Victor. We want to keep an eye on you, man. We want to know that you're doing well out there. And uh, so keep checking in. And uh, in fact, send us an email with your yeah. Uh, send us, and I'm going to reach out to you anyway. Thank you very Thank much, you. guys. And like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. I I really think it comes down to say, I don't need this sale, and that's really what's going to that's really going to make make or break the people in this industry right now. If you can yeah. say, I don't need this sale, you're going to be able to survive. So thank you I very you, much. Buddy. Victor, All right. Thank you. thank you. We appreciate you. Look, we got two callers on deck. We'll try and be quick with this. It's getting late, guys, with two hours and 15 minutes into it, and it's late on the East Coast. So we'll, let's go ahead. We'll take uh, real quick. Rob, how are you, buddy? Rob, hi. Doing well. Um, thank you for taking my uh, call here. No problem, buddy. Um, we saw you sitting there. We didn't want to ditch you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm in Colorado, and me and my family have gone through a major tragedy. Our house in Pine burnt down in January, uh, and it's a horse property, a small horse community, and uh, it's been a struggle with the insurance company. Uh, we had encroachments on the property, as we found out, and then we had asbestos abatement. It's turned into a major uh, project. We, uh, our builder came in uh, $400,000 over budget um, from what mm -hmm. he told us it was going to be. So we are GC in it ourselves. And um, at this point, I'm almost to the point where is it even worth it to rebuild the house or just turn over the property back to the mortgage company? Um, <clears throat> we're, we're kind of at a standstill here. So, I mean, I really, I don't know what the market's going to do, where it's going, where it's, you know, where it's been, whatever. So where do you I live know, in Colorado? It's in Pine, Colorado, just west of Conifer. I'm not which your mark, which I'm not familiar with that area. What's the market like there? If you go through all this, is the house going to be worth it? So we bought the house about five years ago for five fifty, um, refinanced to get a lower interest rate um, two years ago, praised it um, 775. Uh, Zillow is showing at 850 right now. Um, it's gonna cost a million to rebuild the house and that's not counting the property, the barn, you know, 
septic system, well, driveway, all of that. So we're kind of, you know, if we rebuild the house structure and it's going to cost us a million dollars to do it, is it even worth it? I mean, by the time we spend a million dollars and rebuild the house, it appraised for 750 or whatever. I mean, after it's said and done, is the house going to be worth a million? Is it going to be worth 550? I mean, we really don't know what to do at this point. Well, you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're going to lose it anyway after you do all that. I mean, that's the, you know, that's what you really have to, you know, weigh out. You know, look, I, I've had clients that have gone through, you know, um, I mean, not exact situation where their house burned down and their, their contractors, you know, coming in 400000 over budget. But I mean, if, if, if all the money, if you're going to be in a million dollars into this thing, you know, is that feasible? You know, unfortunately, and, and you know, I, I look, I can't give you legal advice and things like that, but, you know, you, you know, friendly, you know, I would have to sit down and say, look, what is my current situation? You know, what's my credit like now? Do have I has my credit gone downhill? You know, how much is it going to affect me to, you know, to let this thing go and rebuild? You know, there's a certain amount, man, of, you know, somebody that's been through a couple major downturns in, in the industry. I mean, look there, I, I can remember, you know, having a big builder when I, when I was a prime contractor for a big builder, owed me a lot of money and, and uh, man, they didn't pay me. And I mean, I know what it, it's like to, to go through some tough times. Sometimes, man, it's just not worth it. You know, it's like you, you make yourself sick worrying about it. And, you know, sometimes there's a relief in just cutting bait, you know, and and uh, and and just getting on with life. It's not going to, you know, what you don't want it to do is put you in the ground, right? I mean, it's you, you can't you can't worry about that. So it's only a house. It's only, you know, it, it at the end of the day, it's only credit. It's only, you know, I mean, you know, look, you know, sometimes life itself is more important and peace of mind. So. I, you're in a tough spot. I mean, that's a that that's a hard decision. But I, if I were thinking about it, I would have to weigh hard the you, the upside and the downside of trying to make this thing work or just letting it go. Right, and I got you there. You know, we finally got to a point where you know the insurance company wanted to save this wall and that wall and whatever. And then after the uh, asbestos abatement and everything, the insurance company finally gave in. And uh, they paid up and, you know, we're sitting at probably, you know, around 900000 as far as what the insurance company has paid out after um, parting ways with the general contractor. I did general it myself. I tore it down all by myself, hauled it all out all by myself. So, I mean, we're sitting with the foundation. We've got the um, framers ready to go. Um, I think we can do it. Um, it's a lot of work and I'm, I'm okay with it. The family loves the property, loves the house. Um, we don't plan on going anywhere, but I'm just concerned, you know, in 10 years from now, you know, when the kids get older and, you know, I'm older and ready to move on and downsize or whatever, is it really worth it to put that kind of money into it at this point? I don't, I don't really know where the market and Colorado right but now, the, but the insurance is going to pay all that pay, pay you 900,000 of it. Yes. Yep. They've already paid it. You know, obviously that money had to go to 
the mortgage company because we don't own the property outright, obviously. So they're dispersing it as we, you know, submit But you our- said you only owed seven hundred thousand. So you've so they're paying nine hundred thousand to build your house again. So you would still have a seven hundred thousand dollar mortgage, right? No, if that's the case. We are actually at five fifty right now. Um they've they've paid eight seventy five is what the mortgage company is holding to rebuild at this point. And I'm figuring it's gonna probably be, you know, nine hundred thousand ish to a million, you know, with the overages and whatever goes along with building a home. So yeah. you know, we're we're Can you I mean, build a smaller home? Well, we're having to rebuild over the same foundation. That's kind of the problem that we have to keep the foundation because it was salvaged. Make it a one story. Is it a two story? Make it a one story. It is a one story with a um, garden level walkout type layout. So, you know, um, I guess, you know, I guess my biggest question for you guys, and obviously nobody has a crystal ball and nobody knows where we're going. Mountains of Colorado are pretty desirable, but is it really, I mean, are we going to see things go bad and then go good again? Or are they going to stay bad for 10 years? Are they going to stay bad for five years? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that is a, you know, that, that's a crystal ball outlook. I mean, I think that we're going to see things continue to deteriorate over the next couple of years. Um, unless, like I said, unless we all of a sudden see wage growth go up or we see them put interest rates back to 3% again, which I don't see happening, I think we're, we could easily be, at, at the very least, flattened off for a decade. And, I mean, if we didn't have any kind of a major downturn in pricing, which I still think we will, but I think things will just flatten off at the very least for a decade, sure. I mean, I... I don't see another, you know, wave of growth like we've just experienced. I just don't. Well, I was just going to say, um, you kind of look at your future too. You look at, you said you had children kind of say, you know, where do we kind of see ourselves going forward in the property? Do you see yourself um, maybe even doing multi-generational living as the children get older? Do you like, what is the future there? Because that may paint just a, a clearer picture of what you see for your future as well. You know, that's a great point. You know, as um, we see our kids getting older and that's kind of the floor plan that we're trying to lay out is the basement for the kids because they're not going to be able to be able to go out and get a mortgage on their own. Um, Yeah. They're going to be staying with us probably until they're, you know, 22, 23 years old, even at this point, um, these, these younger kids and this younger generation, they're not going to be able to buy a house like we did when, you know, when we were 23 years old, you know, we went out and we picked up the, the old HUD home and fixed it and lived in it and whatnot. But this isn't happening for this generation. Yeah, I d- that's stuff that I would think about um, because you're so, you know, in the immediate what's happening right now, it's... Um, it's very unsettling, I'm sure. But I think if you kind of just looked at what the future was going to be like and then thought about your children and it sounds like you love the property, it sounds like it's a beautiful area, um, you may be sad even to leave that. So I just my two cents. Well, you know, and um, that is absolutely true. But, you know, we have to think about me and my wife's 
retirement and when mm-hmm. we are done working and whatnot. And is this something that's actually an investment? Is it something that we can sell and make money on? Or is it something we're going to sit on for the next 10, 15, 20 years before we even see any kind of return on it? I don't, I don't really know. You know, this uh, subdivision, our house was built in 77. Uh, most of the homes in the subdivision are around that age. So, you know, beings that it's going to be a new build, it's going to put it above and beyond all the other homes in the area, which is a good thing, but is it enough of a thing, if that makes any sense? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not one to think that you should build it for your kids. Um, you know, they want their own things in life anyway. They certainly don't necessarily want to be living with you for the rest of their life. And, uh, you know, and, and you need your money and you need to survive and things like that. And we grow these kids up that they can go out and make a living on their own. I mean, that's just me. Um, I think one of the best things in the world is that they get, you know, at certain age, they get kicked to the curb and they, and you've done your job and you gotta, and there, and you have to have your life at that point. I mean, that's just my personal opinion on things. And, you know, I, I, Hey, look, if multi-generational, I know multi-generational families, are getting back together and doing things. But what, what we're seeing is not that kids stay living with you. What we're seeing is that you start living with them because when you're 70 years old, you can't afford it. And, you know, you want to be around. And 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 if they're lucky enough to want you around, uh, they'll move you in and let you contribute to, you know, paying the, the mortgage. But we're not seeing where people are buying houses to move their kids in. I mean, that's the worst thing in the world, in my opinion, to do. Let the kids move back at home if they need to for a period of time. But what I make a buying decision that is going to accommodate a 22 or 23-year-old, I wouldn't. I mean, that's just, you know, I can't tell every parent's got their own thing, man. But um, right. as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, I would say no to that. I'd build a house that's comfortable for you. I'd reduce the size if I could and make it work within the the money that the insurance company is going to give you. And uh, it, and then, you know, because you can make it too nice. If the houses in the neighborhood are in their 70s and that's the, the style and things like that, you're going to overbuild and they're just going to pull you down. And you never want to be the, the overpriced house in the neighborhood from an investment standpoint. But uh, But look, man, we appreciate you calling in. We wish you the best. And we're going to take one more caller so we can get out of here. (laughs) We appreciate you, man. Keep watching. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And then we got, finally, (laughs) what's up, man? What you got? Where are you calling from? San Diego. San Diego. One of my favorite places to visit. It's nice and chilly in the morning and gets nice and beautiful. And you guys have that, what is it, gas lamp? District gas nice, lamp. What is it? Gas light. Gas light. Yeah, gas lamp. Gas lamp. Gas lamp. Yeah, yeah. Gas lamp district in San Diego proper downtown. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on, man? What can we? What can you we? You know, I just you wanted to kind of just give a just give a comment. Um, you know, I know everybody uh, wants to get into a home, and it seems like we've all been conditioned to do that. You may not recall, I I called in last year about this time, and. Uh, you know, a really heavy uh, set case of buyer's remorse. Uh, that that's my predicament. Um, and for those I do that remember are, that are looking to buy, let me give you a couple of numbers here. My parents 
bought a home in 1990, brand new home, four plus three, about 1,400 square feet for 187,000. My father was the sole income provider and he made 50K annually in 1990. In today's money, that's about $125,000. That's more money than I make by a little bit. That house today is valued at about $850,000. So I think you see where I'm, I'm going with this. Just because your parents did it or your relatives did it or your friends can do it, I understand the need to wanna to buy a house and to have your housing costs fixed and to not rent anymore. But if it isn't, if the math isn't adding up for you, regardless of the, the situation, whether it's new, whether it's old, whether it needs work, if you don't, you know, if your debt to income, if your loan to value, if, if that's not going to add up and you're going to be comfortable, don't do it. And, you know, have an investment portfolio that's, you know, diverse in other ways until you can maybe buy some real estate or maybe buy in another region. You know, if you're in the West, like I am, look into buying something in the Midwest or, or, or the East or something like that. If, uh, you know, if you're trying to look for a place to invest your money because you're looking at it as an investment, but, you know, I would say specifically, you know, in California, uh, renting is the way right now, if you if you can, if you're comfortable. So I just wanted to add that in. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to keep you guys any longer. No, well, you're a voice of reason. Yeah. Certainly appreciate you, thank man. You. We thank you for, for supporting our channel and watching and commenting and calling in. And we wish you the best. You too. All right. All right, guys. Well, there you have it, man. Wow. That wow. was good stuff. Wow. We didn't was, have anybody calling from India from a quarry no. or whatever like we did the one time. That was really good, though. I really love hearing from our people and um, just really good format tonight. We fun. did have really quick. We did have some super chats in there. Did we? we did. did we cover them? Can we just? Can we yeah, just? Let me address just the super chats through these really and, fast. Uh, and I'll tell you what. What we love this atmosphere. All right. Thank you thank so you. much. Yes. Thank you. Thank we got you. Got Charles again. Isn't it that if you bought last year in 2022, you won't even start to break even on costs from overpriced homes for 13 years? Sounds like 2006. Yep. That's then, true. That's, oh, I that, it's going to be 13 years before you'll be able to sell. Yes. So yeah. what I think, um, you know, what the study was uh, that was put out was that yes if they bought within that time period if you bought in the last year or two it will take you 13 years to be able to sell your house to be able to get out you know walk away from it um you know with with your money so yes mm -hmm. yep. and charles goes on to say oh i forgot to say my uber driver to the airport on thursday told me she had been a realtor for almost two years and isn't going to renew her license yeah charles thanks for your super chats yeah. we appreciate you man and that and we're seeing that a lot in fact a friend of mine down in tampa i don't know whether he's on watching right now uh, but you know we just had a conversation and uh you know, and, and, and he's looking at getting a full-time job. And these are guys, these are some good guys too. I mean, you know, good real realtors that have really, uh, they're just struggling too. A lot of people in the industry uh, with sales down, believe me, they're not, they're not all bad. Um, you know, as, as much as people are angry at agents and I get it, I do understand, you know, uh, we have a lot of, we have a lot of trust to earn back in the industry. Um, it hasn't always been that way. 
you know, to where, you know, um, we just, we, we made it very low barrier of entry to get in. And then leaders just haven't been doing their job. Brokers haven't been doing their job. Managers haven't been doing their job. Um, they replaced the client, the buyer and the seller. They put the real estate agent as the client in these brokerages. And uh, they made them the focus, the profit center. And uh, instead of you know protecting the buyers and the sellers, the clients that really make it happen. And we did a very bad job in our industry over the last several decades and we got a lot to get back so i i welcome the change i think it's i think the transparency is welcome it's good and i think that you guys you know uh we appreciate you watching our channel and uh if you haven't subscribed you may want to consider doing that we'd appreciate it hit the alert bell you'll know when we upload content just like this mm -hmm. melissa thanks for putting in the extra time tonight Yes, Joe. gladly. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Um, really, really awesome show. Yeah, and and guys, you, the biggest compliment you can do for us is to share yes. the video because a lot of people need to hear this information. And this is not what you're hearing on mainstream media, guys. And look at the participation. I mean, look look at the stories, the lives, the mm -hmm. people, the real people that are out there. You know that's what it's all about we we know we you know i believe there are more people good people out there than there are bad i believe that and uh you know and but we can share this type of content and really help a lot of people i feel really help a lot of people and and guys worst case scenario uh it's just some precautions out there yeah just to slow down make sure you're doing the right uh thing and that you're thinking about things and and we love you we appreciate it and have a good night have a good night all right see you next time see you next time